Hey folks, it's Tomo, Sean, and Andrew from What's Going On Here. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of What's Going On Here. It's been a little while. We're back. We're glad you could join us for yet another episode. And it's that time of year, everyone's favorite time of year. It is time for our annual best tournament, the What's Going On Here best tournament in 2021. Our tournament is the top 16 highest grossing movies of all time. Wow. Wow. And before we get started, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Tomo Lovrick, also known as T-Love in blacksmithing circles. And with me, as always, I have the young, the neatly shorn, like a fresh scrotum, Mr. Sean Quigley, a.k.a. the Quig, as he's known in scrotum shoring circles. Uh, Sean, how are you, sir? I am good. I'd like to start off by saying that I feel like you, the blacksmith circles was the last podcast we had as well. I, I fear that you're stuck in a uh, a blacksmithing cycle. I feel like was I've about those circles before. I really do, but that that's fine. I mean, they're influential circles. To look, to let me tell you something about being stuck in the blacksmith circles. It's full of horseshit, and I can't help but be stuck in it. Just so we're clear. Well, I, yeah, I, that, that's absolutely. I completely understand. There are, there are, there are hardy, there are hardy, respectful men. You know, men of of of, of hard, rough working hands, but soft, eating, bleeding hearts. Yes, absolutely. And you know what? I I, I will I will point out that since you pointed that out last time, um, trying to bring back. Where the circles that I'm known in back on me, so you can avoid talking about your circles. It's not going to work. We still want to find out how are things in scrotum shoring circles, uh, my friend. Um, they are they. Uh, the, the problem with the circles is that they are very varying depending on the subject, as always. Um, the voluntary subjects. It's a pleasant rewarding experience but every now and again to make a few dollars the circles have to go out and find a surprise sleeping subject you'd be surprised the amount of people who get freshly shorn whilst they're sleeping just because that happens to be the special kink of a certain person who's willing to pay a lot of money um for you know uh, polaroid evidence absolutely we get a lot of private detectives. You know, we get a lot of these older LA type long overcoat private detectives coming to us requesting these special photographs of Freddie Sean Chevy That's... testicles in order to uh, get their own back on the women that they have. Uh, you know, it's a very it's a very old story. It makes um, sense because they're private dicks. Yes, of course. 
Um, okay. Yeah. And on that it's note, on, on that note, and as always, ladies and gentlemen, we have the youngest knight, the youngest musketeer, if you will, the youngest um, expert. D'Artagnan. Oh, D'Artagnan. is uh, D'Artagnan. You look at his eyes. They look very sexy, very sexy. The young Mr. Andrew Albagies, or AA, as he is known in bocce manufacturing circles. Uh, Andrew, how are you, sir? How are things? I'm good. Things are good. Um, Sean, trying to avoid responding to the circles and all of that, I would like to do the same right now. Um, And Sean, you you said earlier when you were talking, it sounded almost, it reminded me of something, I don't know, something from The Office when uh, Michael Scott is asked about his uh, (laughs) leadership style and his philosophy and he responds something like my philosophy is simply this and it's something that i've always believed in and i always have and i always will never for any reason ever for any reason no matter where you've been or or where you've gone or or who you are with ever for any reason ever do anything to anyone for any reason ever. Something like that. Okay, that's that's brilliant. But I mean, you played your hand, so I still need to know what's going on in the bocce making circles. We're just making bocce. Good for you. See, that's all you need to do. All this, <laughs> all this agenda that I get from these freaking rookies. That's all you had to say. It's just polite conversation. That's it. God. All right. <laughs> Perfect. That makes a good. That's good improv. There. You're just feeding the story. You're accepting, and you're just moving on. You know, making it back with some big old tail. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, folks, as you heard, we are doing our yearly countdown. Uh, so far, our countdowns have been. We did the best uh, superhero movies of all time back in 2018, I believe. Then we did the best of the James Bond movies in 2019. Last year, we did we counted down Steven Spielberg's best movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, we did it also by how much money they grossed in, 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 at the box office. And this year... Our category is the highest grossing movies of all time. So we picked the top 16 movies. We broke it down into brackets. I will read off what said brackets are. And we should say adjusted for inflation. Yes, absolutely. Correct. Thank you, Andrew. These are adjusted for inflation over time. Correct. And uh, as if for those of you that have never heard our program before, the real star of the show is actually the beverages that we drink. And so because we picked the highest grossing movies of all time, we decided to pick beverages that sounded pretty gross to actually drink. Nice little word play there, uh, courtesy of young Mr. Quigley. And so as you all people who know, we drink mostly beer, but we've done cider, we've done cocktails, we've done spirits, AKA uh, uh, whiskey, bourbon, that kind of stuff. And today we're each picking our own gross ingredient brew, and we're going to sample said brews and find out what we think about them. Because, because this is a tournament countdown, we're probably going to break down 
analyze the movies and vote for our favorite movies and then finalize in the next episode. So we're going to have a gross drink on this episode and a gross drink on the next episode. So without further ado, um, before we start looking at the uh, brackets and to see who's lined up where, shall we start with our drinks? Gentlemen, uh, Andrew, as the youngest, why don't you start? Why not? Well, guys, so in the gross theme, Mm-hmm. I think I've hit every category. Well, I've also I've also found a slight way of tying this into the content, not just the gross content, but one of the films. Ooh. So I will be drinking Mississippi Mud, black and tan. It is a porter and pilsner, whatever that means. Now, right. Mississippi Mud, drinking mud sounds kind of gross. Um, it It sort of ties into the theme of the episode because not exactly but the highest grossing movie of all time adjusted for inflation which i'm sure you'll say in a minute tomo is takes place in the south not uh-huh. i don't think it's really in mississippi but close yeah, enough but, yeah. um but the real kicker here guys is that not only does it have a gross name and not only does it tie into the theme but i'm almost positive that it's going to taste extremely gross because if you're only listening and not watching this you see, I have a whole quart of this, and it costs only $4 for this entire quart. So, Godspeed, wish me luck. Okay. Here's to the gross. Can you, can you give me the usual uh, uh, for those? Uh, can you give me ABVs, IBUs, and brewery, please, and location of brewery, if you could find those? Um, Lord have mercy. Or do, we need to, or do we need to use our uh, untapped app? Let's see. Produced by Mississippi Brewing Company. Okay, so Mississippi Brewing Company. And I don't see, uh, definitely not going to be any IBUs, but I don't know if I see and see the alcohol content. It's got to be on here, right? Let's see. Let's see if I can find it. Mississippi Mud Black and Tan. Here we go. 5% ABV, not applicable IBUs. Okay. All right, yes. Actually, it's saying here that it's a, a Saranac brewery. Really? Brew. Oh, it's probably made, it's probably distributed out of the brewery there, but it's not made by them. Right. It does say on here, it says on here, produced by Mississippi Brewing Company, and then it says Utica, New York. So yeah, what that means yeah. is that it's uh, same thing as like Brooklyn Brewery. Brooklyn yeah. Brewery is actually distributed out of the, the Saranac Brewery in Utica. Okay. All right. Um, very good. So you have Mississippi mud, a porter in tan. If I recall correctly, you're not a fan of porters or stouts, are you? Not particularly, no. Okay. But four bucks. And a $4 quart. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a $2 beer you're getting. Sounds about right. Okay. Sean, shall, shall you present your drink, please? I'm fascinated to see if we have the same drink now. I, I, like I have two, and I was going to go with the one that sounded less gross to me first. Okay. So the right. second one was more like exciting. But now I'm going with this one because it would be funny if we do have the same one. Just okay. because I remember you mentioning that it was you were surprised by how gross it sounded. I picked this out. It was at the local liquor store. It was staring me in the face, and I was, okay. I was reading it. I was like, "What? Like, really?" <laughs> seriously 
Oh, okay. shit. It's more of a dare than anything. And right. Okay. We'll see. It is It is a uh, It's a local beer. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's, it's produced out of Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. The Carton Brewing Company. It is called Digger. Okay. And it is, this is one of the worst parts of it. It is 3.8% alcohol by volume. Okay. Uh, it is 20 IBUs. Okay. It, it has a SAM rating of two, whatever the hell that <laughs> is. I've never seen that. Okay. It's a big, it's a big one. Okay, it's a pint, yeah. Uh, and it is a salted pale ale brewed with clams and lemongrass. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the company? What's the company again? What's the company again? It is the proudly brewed and canned by us at our brewery in our town of Car- of Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey, Carton Brewing Company, C-A-R-T-O-N, Carton Brewing Company. Okay, this is very funny. Yeah. Very, very funny, because for a second, I thought we did have the same one picked for this episode. We do not. However, <laughs> it's almost kismet when you hear the ingredients on this. And this is a brewery that we've had before, uh, once, if, if not even twice. I know once for sure. This is by, again, a local brewery, the Forgotten Boardwalk Brewing Company out of Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And um, this is one of the earliest beers we actually, one of their beers was one of the earliest things we did on the show. This is called Fortune's Fate, okay? Here's a can. It's a nice can. They always have their cans with like a three-eyed cat. <laughs> nice, simple design. This is what the back looks like, okay? Oh, there. This is an oyster gosa with lemon. Oh. There you go. Oyster gosa with lemon. And when I saw that, I... I actually bought a four pack, so I hope to God this is actually tasty. <laughs> oh, four pack as well. It's a clam beer. <laughs> so the fact when you said clam, I was busted out laughing. I was like, "Well, this is pretty glo- close and gross because <laughs> I have never." Well, I shouldn't say that. I had an oyster once. Once, um, my wife is allergic to oysters, and we happened to find that out purely by accident. They just gave her a panel. She's never eaten an oyster. She doesn't like oysters, and it turns out good because she's allergic to oysters. But for like, there are certain foods that it's not necessarily the flavor that bothers me, and it's all the texture, right? Like okra. Okra is a great food. Love to put it in gumbo. I hate okra because it literally feels like just a wet booger in the food, like that texture. It's awful to me. I I, I don't like it. The, the texture completely turns me off. Oysters are literally the same thing. Oysters, as a guy who has had sinus problems since he was a kid with lots of snots, an oyster is just a snotty snot. 
That's good. You can see, look, look, Andrew's already gagging. That gets stuck in your throat, just like the booger, and you can't help but start dry heaving because you're, ah, wah, wah, and you can't get rid of it. And, yes. So, I like oysters, but I don't okay. know about it anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, that's what about Rocky Mountain oysters. Have I had one of those bad boys? Who, me? They, I always get to take them in pairs. <laughs> You should know about that because you shave them on a regular. <laughs> All right, gents. So let's give the listeners what they want to hear. Oh, I didn't give the the the, the deets here. This is a four point two percent ABV. Most gosses are lower in in uh, alcohol content. Oh, and it has a little story about, I guess, why they did this. Because this is a, a collaboration with a, a 40 North Oyster Farms collaboration. And so there's a story on the back that says, Fortunes founded a half shell in 1905. Barnegat Bay was once known as the oyster capital of the world. There were 588 boats fishing wild oysters from natural beds in the bay. And oysters were shipped by train all over the country. Oyster harvesting in New Jersey created the wealthiest zip codes in the nation. Decades of over-harvesting killed most of the industry and the fortunate fates they created. Today, New Jersey's oyster industry is on the rise again with restoration and innovative farming. Who would have guessed if people just kept on fishing or hunting or cutting something down that it would eventually run out? But anyway, let me see if there, real quick, if there are any IBUs. Um, let's see. No, 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 no. Okay, this is what's it called again? Fortune's Fate. That's it. Fortune's Fate. There we go. Lemon. Ah, and they have them in different flavors. Eight IBUs. All right, very good. Eight IBUs. All right, well, gents, let's open up our beers and give the fans what they want to hear that sweet, sweet sound of. Friday night. Oh, it's like a clam. Well, I'll say this much. It looks pretty. It's a goza. Most gozas are pretty. Look at that. Actually, this is fairly... This is fairly deep for a goza. This almost looks like a lager. All right, gents. Andrew, be brave. Enjoy that porter and pilsner, my friend. Here we Thank go, you. folks. Cheers. Cheers. All right. This is odd. No, I'll start with my, for those who don't know, gauzes are basically a type of sour beer and they often make them with, you know, citrusy fruits, etc. Um, almost like a, I guess a shandy or I'm sure manufacturers will yell at me and tell me I'm getting it all wrong or whatever. But long story short, it's a sour beer. This is not a bad sour. It has a nice level of carbonation. It's very light, as most gozos are. Mm. 
I mean, I definitely taste the lemon. And there's a definite odd palate on it. And that must be the oyster. Like, my first impression was almost like it was salty. I mean... Well, maybe it is salted. It doesn't, it doesn't say it. It says... Mine, mine on my can, it specifically says... Oh, no. We should yes. salt it like a gozer. Yes, yes. The, here it does say... Slightly, it says about the profile, slightly tart with hints of lemon and salt. Yeah, so um, I'm correct in assuming it's salty. Anyone who, who's next on takers? Mine tastes like a little bit like a porter and a little bit like a pilsner, and it tastes like it's been watered down. Ah, not a lot of carbonation, and ah. it's got. It almost, it almost tastes a little flat. Like it literally tastes like it's watered down. Not like you just say it tastes watered down. It actually tastes watered down. It probably is. That's why it's $4 for a quart. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sean? Mm. Mine. Okay. It's very strange. I was expecting something utterly gross to taste. And it is gross, but not in the way that I thought it was going to be gross. It's gross because it's well, it's 3.8% and it tastes like a 3.8% lager. Like if you just gave me this in a glass and didn't tell me what it was, I would assume it was like a PBR light or something. Uh, or like whatever okay. that yeah, 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 yeah. It just tastes like a lager that's been made by an alien who's just been like... Here is your lager beer. And you're like, yep, that's uh, that's Clams. just uh, that's a lager. Put <laughs> something else in it. <laughs> yeah, we know you humans, I mean fellow humans, like clams in your beers. <laughs> so you're saying the Coneheads made this beer? <laughs> Maybe. I, I, to be fair, I wouldn't know there was any clams anywhere near this beer, but probably because I've never eaten a clam, at least knowingly I've never eaten a clam. I've eaten an oyster, funnily enough, but okay. not, not eating a clam. For some reason, they gross me out. Um, clams gross, but, you, gross you out and oysters don't? Well... There's a sexiness to an oyster that clam doesn't possess. What? There is right. there's a showiness to the oyster. You, you can you you add some special. You can put some uh, pepper in there. You put some Tabasco, some squeeze some lemon juice. You can yeah, even you can do that with a clam. Yeah, you, you can do that with a clam. Oh, this is a fucking yeah, it's bullshit. Clams are working class. Oyster is privileged, and that's why. I have a preference, okay? <laughs> okay, okay, my bad, my bad. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's the Bart Harrods or it's the clam bar at Atlantic Highlands. Okay, uh, all right, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, DJ TJ. I didn't realize you were coming to the show today. Thank you. Okay, very good. Okay, well, I will say this about this beer. I definitely... I'm definitely getting a bit of a seafood flavor in it, which doesn't make it, like you said, it's not gross because it's gross. It's gross because I'm looking at something and it's not tasting the way it looks. 
It's like if you were eating ice cream and it tasted like, I don't know, ass. Um, you would be confused by it, to say the least. Uh, I think actually, and it, it'd be good to look up on the website from the, from the brewer to see if they have something like that. This is one of those beers that they would probably pair with uh, uh, some kind of seafood. That would kind of accentuate the seafood. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, and oddly enough, I had flounder for dinner. So I'm not minding this taste terribly. We'll see, uh -huh. how, we'll see how it goes. It's 4.2, so I don't know how much excitement I'm going to have uh -huh. with the beer. How did you cook your flounder? I'm asking because I know you are a wonderful chef and you're always very creative with your food. How oh, your this is just, is just just a simple, just fried flounder and some olive oil. And I put some Cajun seasoning on top and then had chips with it. Very simple. Mm. Very nice. Yeah, very simple. Yes. Very simple. Although I did make a sweet potato kale and uh, collard green uh, fritters for my wife. So there's that. Mm. Very tasty. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. I had a pizza from the pizza shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, because you roll in such high circles, that's what you get, I guess. <laughs> oh, yes. Only yes. the very best pizza up here in the woods. Yes, absolutely. All right, folks. So now that our drinks are uh, out of the way, we will break down for you the top 16 movies by um, highest grossing movies of all time, adjusted for inflation. So here they are uh, from number one to number 16. We have Gone with the Wind at number one. Number two is Titanic. Number three is Avatar. Number four is Star Wars, the original one from 1977. Okay. Uh, number five is, where's number five? Avengers Endgame. Number six is The Sound of Music from 1965. Number seven is E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Number eight is The Ten Commandments. Number nine is Dr. Zhivago. Number 10 is, where's number 10? Ah, Star Wars 7, The Force Awakens. Number 11 is Jaws. Number 12 is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Uh, number 13 is Jurassic Park from the original one from 1993. Number 14 is Avengers Infinity War. Number 15 is The Exorcist. And number 16 is Disney's The Lion King. The original animated version, not the, the original animated live, version, not the right live action, Favreau, but right. still technically animated version. <laughs> right. So we split this up into four brackets and we did it much like the NCAA brackets are done. Uh, one against the 16, two against the 15, et cetera, et cetera. So our four brackets are the MGM brackets, which have Gone with the Wind versus The Lion King and Avengers Endgame versus Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Then we have the Disney brackets, which is E.T. the Extraterrestrial versus uh, The Force Awakens and Avatar versus Avengers Infinity War. And then we have the Universal brackets, which is Star Wars versus Jurassic Park, 
and the Ten Commandments versus Dr. Zhivago. And finally, the Paramount Brackets, The Sound of Music versus Jaws, and Titanic versus The Exorcist. So that's how it <laughs> down. I, I just love it. I just realized, I didn't even like occur to me until I was putting it together, that The Sound of Music is being compared to Jaws. And I just can't think of a more opposite uh, <laughs> type of film. To watch it get fucking eaten alive by that beautiful great white shark. What <laughs> what so, parameters did you use to pair these? Uh, just just what do you mean? As in like, because they're not in any particular order based on the the order that they fall on the list, right? No, no, no. It's it's just like with the NCAA's. The one goes against the sixteen. The two goes against the fifteen. The three goes against right, the fifteen, right, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I know all about basketball. Okay, well, yes. So, but what I do is then the top four each gets their own bracket. Yep, yep. So number one gets its own bracket, two ends from there on. So it's a good thing you're catching up to these bracket things, and this is your second year of bracket, though. So. <laughs> Glad you're paying attention. So which bracket shall we go with first, gentlemen? What do we say? MGM. The MGM. Okay, you want to go right for the top winner right away. Let's do it. Okay, so are we picking Gone with the Wind versus The Lion King or Avengers Endgame versus Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Uh, go with Snow White and Seven Dwarfs first. Okay. This is an easy one, I think. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm picking Avengers Endgame easily enough. I will say this, when I watched Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which I probably hadn't seen since I was like six when I watched it again it and considering this was like 1937 if I'm and maybe someone can correct me if I'm wrong I believe this is the first Disney full feature animation that they did that's right I think that's right yeah yeah and if you look at it the story isn't bad the voice Snow White's voice is god awful that they did it's 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 basically it's basically Betty Boop Snow White's mm -hmm. basically Betty Boop but the story is fun. The animation, especially considering, is pretty good. And quite frankly, it's 2021. This movie came out in 1937. If I had kids, I'd have them watch this movie. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't show it to a three-year-old because it's a little bit scary, especially like when the witch uh, is cornered by the dwarves and all of that. But this was, a, this was an entertaining movie. And I can see why it's, it's on this list. Uh, why it's lasted so long. It, it's a fairly universal movie. There's no one that wouldn't be drawn in by this story, right? Um, it has a little bit of singing, has action, it has comedy, you know, it's all animated. A good movie. But Avengers Endgame is Avengers Endgame. And honestly, there are a few times that you'd see like a crowd in a movie theater explode, like when Captain America picks up Thor's hammer. Like that was like in every theater, people were going nuts. Like, yeah. So, I mean, it, to me, it's an easy choice. I pick Avengers for this one. Who wants to go next? I'll go next and I'm going to shake things up. And I'm going to say, for me, it's easy Snow White. And the reason I say that okay. is because I, unlike some of the other times we've done this, um, I don't think I'm going to preoccupy, 
preoccupying myself with fighting for my favourites or the things I preferred, because I think the whole point of this list is it's what the populace, it was the highest grossing and is adjusted for inflation. So I guess we have to take into account if we're adjusting for inflation purely on a financial basis, I feel like we need to adjust, adjust for sort of cultural inflation as far as the zeitgeist of the time when it came out and the sure. reaction from then to now and the influence and where it led from and to. Avengers Endgame is a great movie. It's not the best Marvel movie. It's not the best Avengers movie. And it's not even the best out of the two part one, part two movies that is a part of. Uh, Infinity War is better than Endgame, in my opinion. It sets it up. It's the one that made everyone go, huh? Um, whereas Endgame, it was great, but it was only great because it was, we were waiting for it after an Infinity War. Sure. Um, and all the characters already invested in doesn't really do anything original. It basically, you know, whereas Snow White is Disney's first feature length animated film. Sure. It, it, it has songs like, uh, I, like Whistle Away Work, Hi Ho. For yeah. some crazy reason, I will always sing Hi Ho. I'm just like, I would be walking around in the streets and I'll just be like, Hi ho! No idea why, but I do that. Um, it's so iconic, you know. It's all those very iconic, enduring things. Much more than say Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty. For me, those they're a little wish. Snow White is like the iconic one out of those classics. Yeah, it's like everyone's favorite princess. All the all the little girls like everyone likes Snow White the best because she's a little bit more. Well, she does things for herself. She's a little more spunky. She's, she's, appro- kind of she's approachable, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lying down waiting to be kissed or like, you know, waiting around for the prince to find it. You know, she's a little more approachable. And also, which I like, and I feel like it could have been a different movie, is I heard that one of the reasons there there isn't more of a love thing with like suitors and princes and all that business is they realised on the making of this movie how difficult it was to animate humans the 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 cartoonists were having a really did not anticipate how difficult it would be to frame all right. these frames of humans right. so they decided to fill it with animals it was like the start of disney filling the movies with animals because it was easier to do animals right. than humans right, it's quicker because right, right. they're you know their movements are much more predictable and easy and you can repeat things in animals that you wouldn't be able to do in humans so they were like just for everywhere you'd want to put a human put an animal okay um, so yeah, I think I think if, if if it's a case of one of them has to stay and one of them has to go, for me it's easy. I think you have to keep that, and I think you could get rid of Endgame. And what would you have? You just have some upset nerds. You just have a couple of incels sitting in their basements going. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, bringing up the cultural uh, 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 impact and everything. If you're doing that, then yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but. Personally, I mean, this is just our countdown and how we're doing it. So I, I, I didn't even consider your approach, but I still pick Avengers. So Andrew, you're the tiebreaker. All right. Well, I was actually going to ask you guys how we were thinking of approaching this. Are we looking at it from our personal opinions? Or are we looking at it from, a, you know, what is the more substantial movie? So I guess it'll be some sort of combination of those two things as we go forward. Okay. So with that in mind... I have a good amount to say. 
and you're okay. both going to hear it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I agree. I have to agree with Sean in, in a lot of ways about um, Snow White and its cultural impact. Um, I think the whole, I mean, with that being the first Disney movie, that's Disney movies period where, where they kind of came from really. Um, or at least the first Disney animated movie, right? Was it first, wasn't the first Disney Studios movie, was it? Do we know? Uh, they probably did a live action movie. Yeah, I think so, right? Well, I mean, this was the first full length feature animated. Oh, okay. So they made like the Mickey Mouse. They obviously Mouse had like, movie. yeah, Steamboat yeah, Willie yeah. and all that other crap. That okay. was like, you know, 10 minute, a la Bugs Bunny kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So it has a huge cultural impact that way. Sure. Um, and I respect it for that. I have, like you, Tomo, had not seen it since I was a child. And so I rewatched it in uh, anticipation of this tournament. And while I think the animation holds up, which is uh, commendable, and you know, so much of it does hold up, today I was surprised at how mm, simple and pretty narrow the story was which i guess isn't totally fair but this is me like not me like not really remembering much of it and then watching it and for me it's basically like girl runs away from home girl hangs out with some dwarfs girl dies prince shows up kisses her she comes back to life and the end of the movie it's just funny in like today's context because she literally like gets awakened from her death and is like Bye, all my friends. Bye, everybody. Bye, birds. Bye, dwarfs. Bye, everybody. I'm running off with this man I've never met before, but he <laughs> saved me, and he's the man. So I get on the back of his horse, and he takes me away. This is what it, this is what you do. I'm a good woman. Here we go. Um, so that kind of cracked me up a little bit. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit like Gone with the Wind in that Christmas. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the time gotta, it was made about the same time. Yeah. Yes. Um. So, so that's, that's what I have to say about Snow White. Now, Avengers Endgame, I, I will put out the big disclaimer, as probably anyone who's ever listened to this podcast, and you guys obviously know, I have a huge, uh, I'm hugely biased here and I'm a big Marvel fan. Um, so I'm, I'm acknowledging that bias, but I'm trying to give an objective opinion on this. Sure. I agree with Sean, too, that it is not the best Avengers movie or the best of the... Um, two that it's part of um, strictly because I think Infinity War is, is better than that and the best Avengers movie. I would, you could argue Endgame is, the, is a very close second, but I would also say that while I think Infinity War is objectively a better movie, Avengers Endgame was the perfect movie for what it needed to be and what it needed to do. And on the cultural impacts level, we can't speak to it with the hindsight of uh you know 80, 70 years how long ago was it 1937 is that right however many years of context like we have to look back at snow white but looking forward or looking backwards in this small context i think that avengers endgame did something truly significant and i think it is something that will always be looked at as significant, either because it will forever be uh, replicated or will be attempted to be replicated, um, or because we will always look back and be like, no one was ever able to do that again. And what I mean by that is Marvel made, what was it, 20 movies, 21 movies in the span of basically 10 years and created uh, 
individual films, but like a serialized series, kind of like the comic books, and culminated it all in one epic three-hour movie. Um, and it was a huge cultural event. Like everyone had to sure. go see it. It was the end of an era. And so as far as the cultural impact goes, no one had ever done anything like that. So I think that makes Avengers Endgame potentially as significant as Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Maybe somewhere down the line, we'll look at it and who knows where it'll land in 50 years, but I think it will be a film that people will always talk about. So that in mind, and by extreme Marvel bias, and just strictly the fact that I like that movie a lot more than I like Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, <laughs> I'm gonna vote Avengers End. Okay, all right, well, there, there we go. Avengers, two to one, Avengers Endgame goes on. All right. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I, I, I see both points. I have, you know, uh, I accept both arguments and, Them's breaks and and Avengers Endgames goes on. Okay, next, possibly my favorite movie of all time, and I don't know why I waited my entire life to watch it. Gone with the Wind versus The Lion King. Who wants to go first? Because I have shit to say, a lot of shit to say. <laughs> well, okay, I, I'll go first. In that I I have fifteen minutes left of Gone with the Wind, um, and. Uh, I, to be fair, if you'd have said to me, where do I think we would be 15 minutes in, at any point before the movie or at any point during the movie, if you'd have said, what do you think would have happened in this 15 minutes left? Like, what do you think is going to happen or where do you think it would be? I would not predict where we are. I feel like this movie is like <laughs> the last episode where I'm at. It's like it's been doing this one thing for a while. I mean, there's a lot of chops and changes in it. But, you know, at one point it went, eh, and it went, okay, we're going down here. And then there's like 15 minutes left of the movie, of this long, long movie that I'm anticipating, surely a movie this long, by the time there's 15 minutes left, you're in Lord of the Rings territory here. Like, you're just going to be wrapping. You're wrapping up. There's 15 minutes. You're probably spending half an hour wrapping up, surely. Yeah. But no, it's <laughs> 15 minutes left, and then suddenly I'm like, Whoa, 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 what the fuck? She just threw herself down the stairs? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? She, she's down the stairs. I'm like, huh? Uh, I, um, yeah, I, surprisingly enough, I'm really loving this movie. <laughs> and um, I always surprise myself with these things because for years and years and years, I rode the coattails of a pretentious person who wanted to give the airs of someone who was a classic movie film fan without ever having to really do all the hard work of watching all the classic movies themselves like i just knew i appreciated the idea of them and you know i like the movies that were classic of my era so i must be a classic movie fan and then a few years ago i watched citizen kane and i was like oh actually i really love that and then a couple of years after that, I then watched Casablanca and was like, you know what? I fucking really love that. And now I'm watching Cover the Wind and I'm like, oh, you know what? I really, really like this film. And um, so I guess I am a classic movie fan. But I said, like this film, it's not that I'm saying that, like, you know, I agree with the film about, or I'm sitting here being like, oh, yeah, sad dream of Dixie. Like, <laughs> but I just appreciate the scale of this movie. 
the epicness. Like it's, it, I feel like we look at something like Avengers or Lord of the Rings and we think that's a relatively new thing. It's like we've forgotten that back yes. in the 30s, they were doing this. Sure. They were making these three hour plus movies that were sagas mm-hmm. and set over all these years. And Well into the 60s, as we'll find out, because half of our movies are like three plus hours. Yep. Yeah. It, uh, and um, yeah, it's epic. And I, I, I love, and you know, I just loved movie stars at the time. I love these these studio movie stars of the 30s because they are all interesting to look at. And that doesn't mean that they're all necessarily good looking. I mean, obviously, Vivian Lee, Clark Gable, like, you know, they look great. But even the people who aren't the main stars are supposed to be good looking are interesting looking. Everybody's got an interesting face. Like everyone's, you know, they all look like movie stars. Mm-hmm. And they, and uh, they all... They all sound incredible. And um, and also, the other reason I really like this movie, as I discussed with my wife, as I realised, my three-year-old daughter, um, Nina, is 100% Scarlett O'Hara. Um, and, and literally, I, I was watching it. And in the background, as I was watching it, just earlier today, she was, she was throwing a fit on the on the couch behind us with my wife sitting next to her going ah, i don't want to do it i just can't do it and she's like all you have to do is go into the kitchen and put it in the trash she's just like i can't no why and she's like why can't you i can't do it because i miss my safta too much safta is her grandmother she's yes. hebrew for grandma she's yeah. like, i can't i miss safta oh no oh no <laughs> And then there were like three or four more occasions that uh, this evening that just something normal happens and then there's a breakdown and it's just, oh, why? No! Oh, no, 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 no. Um, okay, so, yeah. so, okay, so that and then The Lion King. Yeah, uh, and The Lion King, uh, great, you know, uh, love Lion King, classic. I, it was one of my favorite films as a kid. It was one of the first movies I went to see in the movie theater as a kid. Um, uh, in fact, it may, if, did it come out the same year as Jurassic Park? This is 93? No, it came out a it came year out later. came out in 94. Yeah, a oh, year okay. later. I saw, so I, Jurassic Park was the first movie I saw in the movie theater. Um, so this was probably the second. And um, yeah, I love Lion King. It's great. It's amazing. Everything about it is pretty good. However, I'm doing a similar thing that I did last time. I personally would go with Gone the Wind over Lion King just because um, the Lion King's great, but pretty much everything that makes the Lion King great has already been established at this point by Disney, I think. Um, as far as you could argue that Aladdin is a better film, and all the things that it does really well, The Lion King just sort of tries to copy and isn't quite as good. It's still really good, but it's not quite as good. Um, if, and, um, and Gone with the Wind is like, you know, I mean, it's problematic, but it's over its time. But it is, there's so much going on there from like a filmmaking standpoint as well. Like so much to be appreciated, like the way it looks, the epicness of everything and, it didn't even really have a director, this movie. That's the crazy mm-hmm. thing. Like, mm-hmm. Back in the days when... Producers, 
Cecil yeah, he was a producer. Yeah, but he didn't come on until like they were halfway or further through principal photography. Yeah, okay. I think they said there were like three or four actual directors, but he ended up being credited because he's the one who finished the film. Oh, okay. So people, it was like it was like having a turn. It was almost like a TV series. People kept coming and going and doing bits and leaving, which okay. is crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a fascinating movie going the way. And still, I haven't finished it, so I haven't had time to evaluate it. But I'm, I definitely. Uh, Definitely enjoying it. I think he's better than Lion King. That's my two cents. Okay. Andrew? Yeah, I... So, 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 oh, so, oh, I'm sorry, just real quick. So you're picking God with the Wind over Lion King, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. Andrew. Okay. Um, I watched Gone with the Wind in advance of this. I had never seen it before. Let's see. Um, I, you know, being a, a movie fan and a film person, I, I've wanted to see it just for the its historical context and it's, you know, it's place in film history and everything else. So I'm very glad to have finally seen it. Um, I gotta be honest, story wise, and let's, I mean, with Elephant in the Room, there's a lot of problematic parts to it. And if you don't know what those are, just Google it real quick and get yourself up to speed if you're listening to this and you don't know, but there's much of it that's problematic. We don't even need to get into that. Um, we don't have time to, we don't have time to, Tom will get into that for us. I'll, I'll, I'll unpack that real fast. There's plenty of it that's problematic. <laughs> that that aside, the story in the movie, I just found really strange um, because I don't really know what I don't know what I was meant to take away from it. Because basically, if you're to sum it up very quickly, there's a woman and she likes one dude, so she like basically marries another dude to make that guy jealous. He dies, so then she marries someone else to make him jealous. And then this her sister is it her sister. Somebody else died. People just start dying around her, basically. And then she's married to another dude. And then he he finally figures out that she's didn't really love him, and she he leaves her, and she's like, "No, don't leave me." That's pretty much the whole movie in pretty like much. the pretty broad much. strokes. And so right. I don't know, I don't totally know story wise what the purpose was or what I was meant to take away from that. Cause I did not find our main character uh, whose name I'm forgetting. I did not find her endearing. Scarlet and I was never, Rivera. I was never rooting for her. Nope. Um, and I also just want to say, I have to say there were parts of the movie that made me laugh out loud. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I want to be very clear. They were not the problematic parts, but yep. there are, like three different deaths in this movie. And they're all hilarious. The first yes. one is like her first <laughs> husband and he he writes her a letter because he went off to war. If I'm remembering this right, he writes her a letter and basically at the end of the letter, it's like, and I can't wait to see you soon. And then it cuts to his funeral. And it's yes. just like, yes. which, which if I never really realized this, but this is something that cartoons have pretty much used as a joke forever. And I think that's why it's funny to me. And I think like the Looney Tunes was probably the first cartoons to do this where they, they probably like, did it from gone with the wind. They probably pulled it from gone with the wind, right? Where the character like runs off a cliff and then it just cuts to like their gravestone. Right. Um, there's another one where uh, I think, is it, is it her uncle? The old man who's on the horse her is dad. running on the her horse. Dad. Her dad, her dad, a drunk Irish guy. Yeah is on a horse and the horse jumps and he goes flying off the horse and then yes. it just cuts to it just cuts <laughs> to his tombstone 
I laugh my ass off at yes. that part. And yes. then and then third, I, I just gotta I gotta give a shout out for how funny these were. Third one is when they're I sound like I'm gonna sound like a sick crazy. The third and most hilarious one is when their little daughter is on a horse and she's riding and they're like, have fun, honey. Be careful. Wait, and wait, then wait. Like, wait, wait, wait. That might be the 15 minutes he hasn't seen yet. Is that the No, he's, he's past that. Because that's before she falls down the stairs. Right? She's been on a horse, but no one's dead. The little daughter? <laughs> she's not dead yet. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Well, hey. You know what? If you're listening to this podcast, you should know. We never gave a spoiler alert, but you should know. Spoiler alert. And I, it's not my fault Sean hasn't finished it. That's right. Sean was a saying. lazy sack of shit. Yeah, that's what he gets. Okay. Well, then, I already said what happens at the end of the movie. Problematic, drunken Irishman, lazy sack of shit over here. <laughs> typical. The third this and the most... Typical Yankee. The third and the most hilarious death, although it's probably not the third, there's a few other people that die along the way, but the daughter is riding a horse and mom and dad are like, have fun, be careful, honey. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they never thought of this while she was got on the horse. They never, somehow suddenly they just get nervous and they're like, wait a minute, horse, that's how dad died. Oh right. no. And then the right. girl goes flying off the horse and yes. it cuts to the little girl's funeral. Yes. Yes. Mammy did warn them. Mammy warned them. She said, there, there's no place for it. She was like, it's just not right. Wait, it's just not right. It's just not right. She said several times. Okay. So, 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 so that's uh, a quick summary of my thoughts of Gone with the Wind. Uh-huh. I will say, I, I, I get why it's probably, I understand to an extent how it's the high, one of the highest grossing movies of all time, adjusted for inflation. I mean, if you think about, it was the first movie in color. So people had to have been dying to go see it in the yes, theater yes. to see and watch it. And the yes. cinematography is magnificent in this movie. I mean, there's yes, there's this one shot where I think it's like during the war, right? I watched this a few weeks ago. So um, mm. Sean, maybe you can help remind me. I think it's like a church is like fully on fire and there's like a horse yeah. and buggy that's just like all silhouette that goes by. And it's just this beautiful oh, shot. Gorgeous. So like- Yes, portrait. Yeah. So I get. I mean, the cinematography in, in in that movie is unbelievable, and and you know it is this large epic thing. So I get a lot of why it has stood the test of time, and and why it's uh, why it did so well over all these years. Tomo, please dive into the problematic parts because I haven't addressed them, but we probably should. But all of that, I will make this other part very quick. Is to say, The Lion King. It is the first movie that I ever saw in theaters. Um, I think I was like three, maybe four. I think I was three when I saw it. First movie I ever saw in theaters. It holds a very, very dear place in my heart. And I've seen it many times as, a, as an adult as well. And it still holds up. I mean, there is a good dose of it that I am biased and nostalgic. And that's why I like it. But I think the objective part of me really likes it too. Um, and we can get into more of that later if we have time, but I won't dive too far into it. I'll just say that. And whether it's my bias or it is my objective opinion, I love the Lion King. So sorry, Gone with the Wind. Lion King okay. is my vote. Lion King for you. Okay. All right. So <laughs> I will I will keep my usually not very opinionated opinion uh, lengthy and blowhardy like I usually do. Uh, the Lion King. I actually found myself surprised that this was on the list. Because much like Sean was saying earlier, 
I would have thought for sure Aladdin would have been there. Um, I thought Aladdin was much, much superior to The Lion King. Uh, between the animation, between the story, between uh, just overall entertainment value for me, I thought The Lion King was just much better. In fact, Aladdin is one of the only movies that I've actually gone to a movie theater twice to see because I really enjoyed And at the time, I was totally into um, computer animation and the whole thing and even like entertained ideas of going into computer animation because like the Cave of Wonders, that, that just blew my mind when I saw that. That being said, I watched The Lion King fairly recently. It's a fun movie. It's an enjoyable movie. The problem is, as a feminist, I cannot understand how you'd ever let your daughter watch this movie. Because the whole th shit is going to hell in a handbasket because one lazy, scarred motherfucker is ruling over all the women. And then one guy shows up, and now he's ruling over all the women. There's that whole feminist viewpoint that's just thrown right in the garbage. One. Two. Um... The scene where he is, and I forget the, what the female lion's character, who was his friend when they were kids, Nala. 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 They do this whole scene where they're walking down by a waterfall. And because I haven't seen it in a while, like, it was almost like they gave it to some college students to do the animation. The animation was so poor for like a two, three minute stretch there that I was just like, what the hell happened? Like, it, it seemed to me very, very lazy right there. Really? You're talking about yes. when they sing the song together? Yes, absolutely. It, I, I, Are you sure you weren't just like watching it on Netflix and it was buffering or something during that part? Because the animation in that whole movie is fantastic. Uh, I, I mean, it's possible. I don't think so. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, it's a, it's a fair point. It's possible. I don't think so. Um, but however, like I said, I'm surprised that of the new Disney movies, this one made it this high on the list. I thought for sure Aladdin would have been there. Or, or I think you could argue that it did Toy the heavy lifting. Was that? I think perhaps Aladdin did the heavy lifting because it was the movie directly before Lion King. I, I guess so. But I, I would have thought even Toy Story would have been here before Lion King. Mm. So I was surprised to see Lion King this high up. That being said, like I said, good movie, um, fun, old story. It's basically Hamlet, you know, Okay. Um, Gone with the Wind. I remember <laughs> for years, everyone saying, best movie of all time, best movie of all time, and I just really didn't want to bother with it. Because the whole like portrayal of, of, of African-Americans in that movie was just so insulting to me. And I'm a freaking Croatian kid that came to the U.S. and I was just <laughs> like, this is just bullshit. I can't believe how much bullshit this is. And then I actually watched it. My wife watched it with me. And for those people that don't know, my wife is mixed race. And for she watched with the first half hour and literally every five minutes, we were like, look at each other and go, what the fuck? The first two hours of this movie is literally nothing but Confederate propaganda. Literally, that's it. It's Confederate propaganda. I lived in a communist country. I know a fucking propaganda film when I see one. And this one was it 100%. The fact that all the black people loved working for the Southern gentlemen, because they were all gentlemen and the Northern savages were taking us over while we were just dancing in petticoats and great. 
And then comes Scarlett the Cunt O'Hara. Can I just say, <laughs> the least likable fucking movie character I have ever seen in my fucking life. Oh my fucking God. The selfish little bitch. She's fucking everybody over from Columbus to fucking Mississippi. Everyone's just, she's just fucking everybody just to get her way. And all to, to fuck this dude. And then, of course, so the, the first two hours, like I said, it's all about how horribly misunderstood the South was for the Civil War. And, and, and the Yankees just spit on them when they were just trying to lead a nice, quiet life with, like, happy black people who were enslaved. But they were happy. The darkies were happy. Um, <laughs> then the second half of the movie comes along. And in the second half of the movie, Scarlett O'Hara is going on with this thing again. And she's just dicking everybody over. And, and then the line that had me just, I, I literally almost threw a shoe at the TV, where, <laughs> where she opens up the sawmill and she, she becomes an astute businesswoman over the course of this movie. She opens up a sawmill and she's like a cutthroat businessman too. And the guy that she's in love with, who's still in love with his wife, played by, I believe, Olivia de Havilland, and Vivian Leigh plays Scarlett O'Hara, and she was the one that's always praised for, for playing in that movie. So Olivia de Havilland only died a few months ago. Right. She was like 101 or something. Right? It's crazy. Olivia de Havilland, if you ask me, her and Clark Gable actually did the best portrayals. Everyone else was such a foppish cartoon, Vivian Leigh included. Like the little snits and tizzies that she was throwing and all of that like and all her sisters whatever olivia de Havilland, she she could have played that super soppy like soap opera kind of spanish telenovela soppy and she played it actually fairly grounded and i really appreciated her acting that being said clark gable i appreciated his acting too of all the other characters between olivia de Havilland and clark gable they were the only ones that earned any sympathy from me because of all the people in this movie to me, he was the most realistic because he was the pragmatist. He was the one that when captured by the Northern soldiers, he gambled with them and promised them money as long as he's not. And then he looked after the people he cared about. But, you know, he was good friends with the local uh, madam at the whorehouse. And he, even though he mistakenly was in love with Scarlett O'Hara. Again, Scarlett O'Hara, the most unsympathetic character I've ever seen in any movie. And like Andrew said, I don't know what the point was. I supposed to care for her at the end? I did it when she went to swing at 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 uh, 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 Rhett Butler, Clark Gable's character, and he just kind of fucking did a little Jedi sidestep, and she went head over ass down the stairs. I roared. I was killing myself laughing, <laughs> dying laughing. I was like, oh my god, I hope she broke her neck. I was literally saying that to myself because I just did not like her one bit. Story wise, again. It was an awful movie about awful people. That being said, the cinematography, the, the, the scope of the, uh, the fact that it was such a grand performance, like uh, the, the way they put it together, all of that, that's great. But I mean, the movie in the end is about the story and the emotions it brings up. And the emotions it brought up in me was nothing but anger and 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 disappointment and honestly especially considering what's going on in the country today the fact that well into the 80s they were pushing this on tv all the time like there's nothing wrong with this and this was a movie made 60 years 70 years after the freaking civil war and they were still saying that 
oh no, this is just you, you don't, just misunderstood us. And you know, I, I think there's an element of satire to it though, like a knowing I think it speaks very highly of the fact that there are different directors to it. And there are definite parts of this movie where it's like almost winking at the audience, like, isn't it kind of funny that the South think that they're so much better than the North when this is the reality. There's a whole scene before they go to war where they're like saying very knowingly like, ah, what are they ever going to do to us? And Clark Gable literally turns up and is like, well, the only thing the South is good for is like, you know, is slaves, whatever, and arrogance. Like, you guys, it's it's very like... That is such uh, a minute part that I would hardly call that satire. I mean, the, like I said, the first two hours is nothing but propaganda film. It's a sheer propaganda film. I, I, I like, I like, I could barely stomach it. It took me two days to see this movie. I, I honestly, I appreciate all of it. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like watching like anything that you're good at, right? You, you could really appreciate a stage production, or you could really appreciate a, a house that's built. Like you would never in a million years buy the house because you think it's ugly as sin. But, you know, the architecture that they put into it and the skill it took to make it, you can appreciate that. But in the end, it's a movie, it's a story, and I thought it was a terrible story, like I said. Scarlett O'Hara should have been burnt in her house, burnt down to, in, in, to the ground with the house. And it serves as a prequel to Street Kind of Desire, though, with Vivian Lee. I'd never seen this, but I was like, it's funny because it really feeds into the Blanche Dubois character. It does because well, Tennessee Williams, like all of Tennessee Williams' characters are hysterical. So she will definitely fit right into that. Um, but that, like I said, that being said, I, I think Gone with the Wind is an awful movie. I mean, the fact <laughs> that they're putting up like notices for it. No, I really do. I think it's a terrible movie. Like I would never show that to movie to anybody. Then to just show like how perseverant the idea that the suppression of an entire people is just an afterthought in this movie. I mean, the line, the one line that killed me was when she had the, the sawmill and the guy that she's pining over in love with, and I forget what the character's name was. And she, some guy, and I think again, it was like an Irish dude who brought prisoners who were chained up like in a chain gang. And he basically, she was going to, he was he was gonna have them work for her for free for whatever reason i forget what the arrangement was and then the guy that she's in love with he's like oh i feel bad about that some of those guys were malnourished they look like they could fall over any minute why don't we just hire some darkies and pay them well to do the work and i was like wait a minute this from the plantation owner who like a few years ago had like i don't know 500 slaves really Really, I'm supposed to like blamed himself. He said, "You know, you know very well that when Daddy passed, I would have just let those slaves be free." I swear. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I'm, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Like I said, like I, I, yeah. No propaganda film, garbage characters. I at the end, Sean, I'm going to ruin it for you. Rhett Butler takes a six shooter and puts one right between her eyes, and that's the end of the movie. No, he doesn't. But I wish he so wish he did. I dislike this character. I dislike this movie. And even though I don't think Lion King is anywhere near the best of the uh, uh, Disney cartoon movies, I'm definitely picking the Lion King over God with the Wind. 
I'd say a couple of interesting things about, I, I thought it was fascinating. I knew this, but I forgot. Both Olivia de Havilland and Vivian Lee are British. And it was interesting watching it back because accent-wise, it's so strange, but the British accent of the period, the 20s and 30s, in, especially in movies, versus, I guess, the Southern Belle of the 1800s, it's not a million miles away from each other. Right. It's weird because I'm listening to it. You think, oh, she must be doing this like, like, oh, she's the original British actor doing this crazy transformation. But like, actually, well, she's speaking this whole time. She's speaking like this, like, no, you can't do that. And I'm thinking, actually, it sounds kind of similar to like how the (laughs) British actor sounded back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really close. And the other thing that I think is interesting is, um, and this comes later on in another movie, The Exorcist, I'll bring it up. But I was fascinated by how ages-wise, when Clark Gable first comes in, and of course I know he's going to end up with Vivian Lee, right. even though I haven't watched the movie. The, my first thought, because at the beginning, she they're playing her as very young. because she, mm-hmm. She's like 17 entry. or 18, right, right. I'm thinking like, oh, like we're used to this with Hollywood now, but I'm like, this dude is way too old. For, how are they going to crowbar this in? Like, I'm looking at him, and I'm like, oh, my God, he looks like he's 50. Like, what? I looked it up. Do you know how old Clark Gable was in that movie? Uh, he was in his, his 30s. Yeah, he yeah. was like 37 right. in that yeah, movie. Yeah. 37. I'm like, the guy, he looks like he's, he looks at least 47. Like, dude, he, he's like, no need. It's like, is it's it's Matt. It's like, and what I lo- the other thing was hilarious. I'm like, it, the whole thing he reminded me is like, this is what if George Clooney turned up to a Halloween party is uh, Gomez Adams, like this is Clark yes. Gable. Yes, yes. Like this whole both of those both of those characters would not exist without Clark Gable. Gomez Adams wouldn't be that, but then really? also George Clooney surely wouldn't have a career. Like someone down the line was like, this guy does Clark Gable. Because it's just the same. He like he looks the same. He does the same faces. Like he's got yep, the same. Yep, yep, yep. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what when you're like drinking scotch that smokes when you pour it on a wooden desk and smoke cigarettes without filter since you're like twelve, you're gonna look <laughs> like an old man by the time you're thirty-seven. That's <laughs> that's just all. Yeah. So, <sighs> all right. So that's the MGM brackets. Which bracket we're going to next, gents? Whatever's next in chronological order. Chronological order. I don't know. So let's go to number two. We'll go to the Paramount brackets. We got The Sound of Music versus Jaws and Titanic versus The Exorcist. Nice. Are we starting with uh, Sound of Music versus Jaws? Sure, why not? Do we need to go into too much detail? Can I start us off by saying that I love Jaws and last year's tournament we talked... uh, in great detail about Jaws. I think Jaws was, wasn't Jaws runner up? I think. I, if not runner up, like third. Yeah, I, th- I want to say it was runner up, but I think the final two in the Spielberg was Jaws and um, uh, Raiders, but if I'm remembering right. So we love right. Jaws. I think we all agree we love Jaws. Sure. Um, I'm going to be honest and say that I can't speak that well to the sound of music because I think I've seen it when I was very young and I've seen it in parts. I don't know that I've actually seen the whole thing all the way okay. through. 
It's the only one I didn't, I meant to watch and didn't get to. Uh, but mainly because I didn't want to watch it because the parts that I have seen, I don't really care for. I've seen the stage production and I, I may make people upset by saying this, but it just, it does nothing for me. And Jaws, I love Jaws. Jaws it is for me, short and okay. sweet for this one. Jaws, um, I'll go next. Again, Jaws is fabulous. Um, like we talked about last year with with the Spielberg tournament. Um, obviously, <laughs> very completely different genres of movies, as all of these are. <laughs> um, however, I was I I saw The Sound of Music again when I was a kid, and um, oddly enough, I was kind of allergic to musicals when I was a kid. I didn't like musicals for whatever reason, but bizarrely enough, I loved Elvis movies, which was just basically bad musicals. So I don't know why, like, you know, that association was there. But I watched The Sound of Music, and I thought it was going to be just a big cheese fest, and I actually thoroughly enjoyed it, particularly because they had, they had the whole, um, they had the whole socio-political uh, uh, situation going on with, you know, the Third Reich taking over Austria. And, you know, they portrayed, like all of these things, you know, people want to paint things black and white, but there's always people that, don't like a particular direction a country's going to, even though the majority of the country is going for it. So the the whole escape, and I mean, it was based on a true story. Um, the Von Trapps, I think, emigrated to Canada, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, I thought it was going to be a snooze fest, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought um, Christopher Plummer uh, played it very well. I thought it was going to be cheesy. I don't know why I thought it was going to be cheesy because I think he's a marvelous actor. He did it really well. It, all of it could have been very cheesy. And again, because it's a musical, but it was done in a really grounded way. And I, I found myself really enjoying it. And I thought it, it, in terms of, again, this was a three and a half hour movie uh, uh, of other musical movies. I, I, I surprised myself by enjoying it as much as I did. That being said, Jaws is really just kind of, I guess it, it's so much of a serious uh, subject. And then, you know, you have all the uh, uh, actors that are in Jaws and everything. Story-wise, it's nothing crazy, but you know, Sound of Music is nothing crazy either, you know, besides the fact that a girl that wants to be a nun falls in love with the local rich guy. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm going with Jaws on this one. Like, I, I liked both movies. Surprised myself by liking The Sound of Music as, I'm, as much as I liked it, but I'm going with Jaws on this one. Sean? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I think I'm a, I love Jaws. One of my favorite movies of all time. Love Jaws. Um, I'm a musical guy. You know, I, musicals is like my sort of profession, literally. Yeah. Uh, and I, um, I don't, I don't love sound music. I think um, it's one of those weird ones where I come down. I'm probably more critical of musicals than I am of just other sorts of films because I just know it so well. I know what makes it work, and I know various things. And I, it's one of those weird things where, with any musical adaptation, you're always in this danger. The second you put it on film, there's so much to compare it to. Um, and whereas there are some 
there are there is an example of like West Side Story, for example, ironically enough, being remade by Spielberg, or already has been coming out next year, I think at this point, um, is a perfect example. And the reason the reason he's doing it, which someone like Spielberg wouldn't do unless it was the reason, is the West Side Story, the musical, as it was written for stage, is an incredible piece of theatre. Uh, it's it, it's a brilliant, brilliant musical, maybe arguably the best musical of all time, but the film is pretty crap. The film is not very good. It's not a good film. Great musical, not good film. Um, and then you get Grease is a perfect example of the opposite, which is a terrible musical, the way it's written and on stage, rubbish and boring and forgettable, but the movie is brilliant um, because the people in it and the changes they're made for the film Sound of Music falls into that category for me. I don't like the musical. I find it boring and like meh. In a world of that era of Rodgers and Hammerstein, there are some excellent musicals. Carousel is brilliant. I love Carousel. I think it's the best one of that whole era. Oklahoma even, I like. Um, but this, I, I don't like Sound of Music. I think the songs are kind of like meh. Um, the story's kind of like, eh. but the movie is um, pretty good. They did a good job of taking a musical I don't like and making it good with some brilliant actors and some gorgeous scenery sets. Mm-hmm. It, it's well-made movie of a not very brilliant musical, in my opinion. So Jaws wins. Okay. All right. Jaws goes on. All right. Very good. And now we have Titanic versus The Exorcist. This is an interesting matchup i think this is an interesting one um who wants to go first i can start i I, um so i let's see i'd never seen the exorcist before this i watched it a few yeah i watched it a few weeks ago so i saw it for the first time um titanic i saw I want to say I've seen it a few times. I saw it in theaters when it came out and I was, I think I told you guys this, I think it might've been before we started recording. Um, So I saw it when it came out, which I would have been six years old when it came out. So I saw it then. And I, I think I saw it a couple of times, maybe in the years after, but still like in the nineties. So before probably like I was under 10, the last time I saw it and being like a movie guy and knowing that Titanic was, up until Avatar came out, the highest grossing movie of all time, not accounting for inflation. Um, It always kind of, it always kind of perplexed me as to why or how Titanic was such a successful movie. Cause in my mind, all I really remember is like the ship sinks and it's like a love story and it's like a cheesy love story. Like why was that it? I also remembered the boobs because I was six years old and saw boobs for the first time. That's pretty much what stood out for me. So I, I had to rewatch it and I'm very glad I did. Cause I, I was tough on time to watch all of these movies. As we said, a, a good number of these movies are like three hours plus Titanic being one of them. And I was like, Ugh, do I have the time to do another three hour movie? I'm like, I've seen Titanic. Like, I know it's been a while, but at least I've seen it. I'm so glad I did. Um, because I just watched it yesterday and I get, I get now a bit more why it is, why it did so well and why it was so successful. And I think, um, you know, it's a, it's a testament to James Cameron as a filmmaker that, you know, if you put this on paper, like 
that you could see a lot of issues with it. Like what a romance story on like a sinking ship. It's like, what? But he does a lot of really great things with it. He has just a way of directing. And I think uh, Kate Winslet and Leo are like so good and charismatic together. And here I am thinking like, I don't want to watch this cheesy love story. And now I'm watching it now at like from, you know, six-year-old me didn't get any of that. Um, and now almost 30-year-old me is watching it and like being like weirdly invested in Jack and Rose's romance in a way that I was like, I've only kind of remember it in the cultural, the pop culture context of like everyone making fun of it, of like they could have both fit on the door and I'll never let go. And, you know, it's such a part of like our culture and our, um, I guess it's just such a part of pop culture now, right? Sure. Um, and then the, the, you know, the, the, the kind of historical context of it. And then, you know, the second half of the movie is just like the disaster movie, like the classic kind of disaster movie. And I think James Cameron really does an awesome job of blending the two and the movie itself. Like, you know, I watched Dr. Zhivago and then the 10 commandments and then Titanic each three nights in a row. And so I was like at a point, so maybe that's part of it because as we'll get into those other two movies are a bit long and slow. Um, I was like invested and entertained through all of Titanic in a way that I didn't expect to be. So shout out to Titanic. Uh, The Exorcist I had never seen before, but again, it has like such a pop culture relevance that, you know, I, pretty much all of the big shocking moments in it, I already knew about from, you name it, you know, you just, you pretty much, if you haven't seen that movie, I'm sure you've, you know, the big moments in it. Anyways, um, I, I, re- I, I respected it a lot for it. Like the fact that it's like, so uh, that it pushes, pushes the envelope so much. And you can imagine, I think that, when did that come out in the seventies, right? 73. 73. So that like, I, I have to imagine was like really pushed the horror genre significantly because prior to that, I think you had more like the classic, like the Hitchcocky type of stuff. But this was kind of the first horror movie that like, if you really think about it, the movie's not necessarily scary. There's no jump scare moments. There's no one walking and worried about what's around the other corner. It's just deeply disturbing. And it's kind of probably, and you know, I don't know all of the historical context here, but I, I think it's like one of the first movies to really do that um, and to kind of develop that level of a horror movie. And I actually think those are more effective than like jump scare horror. I think when it gets like weird and disturbing, that's what's actually scary. All of that said, I was kind of surprised that uh, the story I think is pretty flat in that movie. Like essentially girl gets possessed um spoiler alerts again if anyone's listening who hasn't seen this i don't know why i need to give that i shouldn't have to um basically girl gets possessed two priests come to try and unpossess her um they're not really successful and then uh, she kills one priest the other priest punches her in the face he gets possessed and he jumps out a window and kills himself the girl's fine you never get any there's no, there's no like real uh, significance in the story as to like, why was this girl possessed? How did she get, you know? I mean, the only real significant sort of character arc in the movie is the one younger priest, right? Cause he kind of like, wasn't sure about his faith and then he like sacrifices himself or whatever. But I just thought that like, for like 
a movie that has such significance or is so like well known, I was a little surprised to see that like the story doesn't really do that much. And I think why it was so successful was just because it was so shocking. And I also feel that, especially watching it back now, I can't speak to obviously how it would have been seeing it then, but watching it back now, like there are moments that it just feels like they're trying to be shocking, not like it really is effective. Like there's some of it, like it gets so weirdly sexual, which like I get that like this little girl doing sexual things and the devil, like that gets disturbing, but like they do it so many times that it just becomes kind of like taboo in a way. Um, so yeah, so I'm glad I got to watch that for the first time and glad I rewatched Titanic. I guess I might sound like a bitch for saying this, but I guess I'd have to go with Titanic over The Exorcist. That's okay. just me. Okay. And that is, that is on a, a, a purely, that is me speaking uh, objectively, like talking about like from a filmmaking standpoint, I think what Titanic does is significant. And it was like the risk, well, granted, I'm sure The Exorcist was a very much a cultural event because it was so shocking, but um, I think Titanic holds up better. So Titanic. Okay. Um, Sean, you want to go first? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I uh, almost the opposite of uh, Andrew on the Titanic. I, I saw the Titanic as a kid. Well, not almost the opposite. I definitely have very fond memories of the boob scene. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I remember having it on double VHS. Yes. Um, and that 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 one tape, that second tape, would get very worn around that certain uh, point. It was the tracking starts. So you get to that bit, and it was starts. The little you get the foam in the. It starts to fold out because yeah. the amount of times it had been paused and rewound and paused and rewound on that one spot, so the tape had started to wear. Um, <laughs> Shawnee, come to dinner, Shawnee. Watch out, mom. Please wear them. <laughs> I love the movie. Aside from that, I did love the movie. I thought it was great. Um, did you and, did you rewatch it recently? Yeah, I did. I did, and um, I. Well, I say the opposite. What's the opposite? I did like it still, but it, it was a little bit. It's funny watching it now because I think the difference is little thing. Billy Zane seems like even more of a caricature of himself in the movie now. That's true. Now I know Billy Zane has turned out to be a character of himself. Like, he's the most Billy Zane. He's, he's just like, I'm Billy Zane. Like, it's all, no. Like, but just with hair. Um, and I think it's tough because as good as Leo and Kate Winslet are in it, and they are very good in it, I watch it now through the eyes of someone who's seen them both be like exceptional much actors. better yeah exceptional actors they've done some brilliant things and i feel kind of bad for them that this is what they can be remembered for it is i mean even though they have done much better i, I, I don't think that's what's leo going to be remembered for honestly i don't know i mean it's the iconic thing that you think of him with the hair and the it is one. It is one piece of it, but maybe not the whole thing. I, it's, not I, like I mean, it's not like he's stuck in that box. But like, honestly, if they, I if I'm thinking of him for, for iconic, I will pick The Departed any day of the week over Titanic for for like an iconic performance of his. And two, I, I'll pick The Basketball Diaries over Titanic. Nah, uh -huh. I, I'd have to disagree. If you're talking like culturally, what will be remembered? No, 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 Titanic no. I'm talking about just his performances. Oh, his yeah, yeah, performances. 
Well, I think, Sean, you're oh. trying to say, like, what yeah. he'll be remembered for, though. Well, yeah, I think that's what people think of as far as uh, the popular. If you walk, stop people down the street, name Leonardo DiCaprio, like, what's the most iconic image? Like, if you think of Leonardo DiCaprio, what do you think of? That's I true. think most people think of that, whether it's young girls or old women, they think of that. Uh, as far as performances, nowhere near. Like, I mean, he's incredible in so many movies and he should be remembered for so much more. And, that, that, you know, his more recent stuff is, even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like, he's fantastic in that movie. Um, uh, you know, uh, Inglourious Bastards, he's, I mean, not Inglourious Bastards. Um, Django? Yeah, Django is fantastic. Like, which is almost the perfect antidote to Gone with the Wind. You should watch I was that thinking that movie. when Tomo was saying it, I was like, that's the, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, his character in Django is almost like, you could almost see like that same character that like uh, Scarlett O'Hara is going after the whole time. I forgot his name. You know, uh, Red Butler. No, the other guy, the guy that she's in love with the whole time. Oh, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's almost like the, through the eyes of the Yankees, he's Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> 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 like, just the two sides. Um, yeah, Titanic. It, it, yeah, it, it is great. Great movie. Um, yeah, but. Very good. What it did was amazing. All the various things. Although in recent, it made me, because I heard someone talking about it, it makes me want to go back and watch a classic. There's an old movie from the, I don't know, the 50s? I think they made it, maybe the 40s. There's a Titanic movie from the 40s and 50s, a classic movie. Um, it's not called Titanic. It's called The Night, it's like The Night They'll Be Remembered or like well, the, something like that. Mm. And I, I want to watch that because I'm, I'm interested because specifically they said what makes that difference is... They, it's very true to fact. Like unlike the Titanic, they they try to follow as many true accounts of the actual people that were on the ship mm. of what they knew, and, and it was a lot more about the class struggle between the classes. And it was very. And I'm oh, I'm interested to see that because I'd be interested to see what happens in that movie. Mm. Um, I think they glossed over it a little bit in Titanic. Yeah. Um, the Exorcist. I love the Exorcist. I think the Exorcist is great. I think it's. I think it's brilliant performances in it. I think Ellen Burstyn is incredible in it. I think um, Linda Blair uh, as a kid is extraordinary. What mm -hmm. she does, but even before she's possessed, I think the charisma she's got, like yeah. just the awareness, she she really got robbed of a better career as an actor. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. Because of this, she deserved to have a better career. Um, there's some brilliant performances in this. Even... I forget his name. He became more successful as a playwright. He played Karras in it. But I think I thought he was great. I think he was very charismatic, very believable. I love so much about this movie. It's filled with priests. Everybody in this movie that's a priest, apart from Max von Sydow and Karras, is a priest in real life. They, they got real priests to be the priests um, because they specifically wanted the Catholic Church to be as involved as possible. And it's all there's all this research, there's all this like true stuff involved in like exorcisms and it's very, they ticked all these boxes. Um, all the effects are like super practical. They've got this like genius guy to come and like do all the effects like in the house and they rigged it like a, a room where the actors didn't know what was going on. Like the bed would move and stuff would fly across the room and they didn't know how it was happening. Like he just rigged this whole room to do all this stuff. And even the end where he flies down the stairs, they threw a stuntman down those stairs, those real stairs in Georgetown, like twice. Like he, like he, they just threw a dude down the stairs, like because before yeah, yeah, CGI, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just gonna throw it to go downstairs. Um, 
yeah, I love this movie. I think it's classic. I think it's brilliant. And, and this was the other end I was going to say about the age thing that I thought was fascinating. The guy who plays Father Karras is 33. He, he looks, again... He looks in his what? 50s. He looks awful. He looks well, awful. again, again, you're a Catholic priest. All you have is booze and cigarettes. <laughs> well, what about, uh, what's his name? Max von Sydow. He Max looked, Sydow. how old was he in that movie? 43. And he looked but, exactly the same last year when he died. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Max von Sydow has looked that age. He's looked that age for 50 years. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> literally. They aged him up. He was 43. He was, he was three or four years older than Ellen Burstyn. Um, but he has that same Peter O'Toole thing of like, he's got the. Well, he has that Scandinavian thing. So he has right. the pale hair, the yep. pale features. It's, it's not difficult to make him look more distinguished or older than he is. He was tall and he did a bit of a hunch. Thin, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Acting. They didn't have to do much to make it believable that he was right. that old. But again, it's in the performance. You yeah. think it's an old man. Like, you don't think that's a guy playing an old man. Like, you're like, no, this seems like an old man. Oh, you would never realize he's the age he's playing. Um, yes, yes, correct. So who, yeah. who do you pick? I I go for Exorcist because I I really like Exorcist. I think it's classic. I think it does so much. There's so much more interesting. Thing. Another side piece of, of one of the reasons it became so big, and I remember this as a kid in the playground, loads of people died while they were making the movie and I was into it. Because it was like a, yeah. you know, it was a rumor thing when you were as a kid. Legitimately, sure. nine people died whilst they were filming this movie that revolved. And it wasn't yeah. like the stars, and it was nothing fancy. It was like deuce behind the scenes. It was like the second AD, the cameraman. People on set would just die. They were just dropping down, dying. Like nothing amazing. <laughs> they were just like coming there like, oh yeah, died. <laughs> nine, nine different people died during that movie, including yeah. the guy who played the um, drunk Irish director in the yeah. beginning of the movie, who dies and, in the movie. He died immediately after the movie. <laughs> and supposedly, I think it was actually scripted, I could have this wrong, but I think it was scripted that you were going to see his death in the movie. But he died before they were able to shoot that scene. So they just had him die off screen. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Also, do you know that this is another, I, I Googled this after watching the movie and I didn't know these things before, but heard all these crazy facts about it. The whole set caught on fire and burned down at one point in the middle of the production, except yeah. for the, the room, what's her name's bedroom, the set for her bedroom didn't burn, but the yeah. rest of the set did. <laughs> so lots of spooky stuff associated with it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, all right. So, so, um, yeah, I watched Titanic for the first time the other day, and I actually did it a disservice because I, well, the other day, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I did it a disservice because I watched it on a small screen, and I realized mm -hmm. I was doing it a disservice because it was on the small screen, because especially when it came towards the end, towards the disaster movie, all those special effects were amazing, and I, I mentioned this I th to Sean, um, uh, my mechanic his dad built the stairs for the Titanic. His dad was a production uh, a carpenter mm -hmm. or build, build stuff or whatever. So like I had a little bit of a like, wow, yeah, the, that staircase looks magnificent. You know, that was Mike's dad built that staircase, et cetera, et cetera. But 
I watched it, and overall the story was, it, it reminded me of like a lot of the Spielberg movies that we did last year. Like the character work was great. It, it, it's a little bit, uh, it was a little bit um, Lincoln. Mm. Like every, every actor was fantastic. Like from, you know, the two-line actor to the, you know, Leo and, and, and Kate, and they were all brilliant. But the story was just like, what, what kind of story is this? This is really just, eh. You know, because, and again, because I wasn't on a big screen, and like I said, I know I did it in the service, the special effects didn't capture me as much as, as it would if I watched it on a big screen, especially in a movie theater, you know? Um, obviously, the, the practical effects, like the flooding that they were doing and the ship going upside and, and turning and everybody falling off, just the scope of it all, like we said, much like we've gone with the wind, the scope of that production is just amazing to me but like i said in the end the story was just like so just lame to me and then and forget about all the holes at the end that she held on to this like two million pound diamond and she never used it but she went traveling around the world and flying and riding camels and to the jungles of africa and did all this shit you know how did you do it your mother disowned you you didn't get married where did you get the money for all of this and nobody knows about this diamond you know so it was like at the very end, I was just like, huh? A little bit like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah the said, bits, it's just me, like a bit. It's like, you could just donate that to charity. Like, you could do some real good with that fucking exactly. stone. Exactly, exactly. So, I've had my life. Yeah, in, in the water. Yeah, exactly. So the, the bits with the old woman do not stand up well. No, that, no, no, no. Those not parts are terrible. And and God God bless that woman. I don't know her name, the actress, but her she's it's so cheesy everything it's, with it's, her is so cheesy that part does not stand up at all all of it uh, the thing that i always admire about all the jim cameron movies is he has a group of actors that if you pay attention is just about in every one of his movies like bill paxton bill paxton yeah, was, I was is like in every movie of jim Cam and even like other people like you'll see um the woman who played edward long's uh, uh foster mom in terminator 2 Mm-hmm. she was actually she was yeah she was the uh the crazy marine chick in aliens mm, okay remember the one that like w- with the lieutenant grabbed the grenade and blew themselves up before the ex- exomorphs got them so anyway take your word uh, for it uh, uh titanic to me was an okay movie like i said the, the, the acting was done really well i could appreciate all the cinematography all the production the story was just like, eh, okay, whatever. I, I, I basically, like you said, uh, 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 I don't know if you said it, Andrew, or you said it, Sean. I don't quite understand why it was such a big deal. Like the only thing I can say is, but on the big screen, when you watch that ship going and everybody going, it's just like, wow, that is that is quite the sight. Funnily enough, the song sold it a lot. We're forgetting. Yeah, yeah this is true. This is true. In the 90s, loads of movies actually were sold by the song. It started off with Brian Adams with Robin Hood. And it, and it probably finished with Armageddon and Aerosmith. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, no, 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 you're right. You're right. And I mean, and that movie made Celine Dion the star she is. That's all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so I thought I thought it was a good movie. Um, I I didn't you know like write home about it or anything. So many holes in the story and whatever. Again, it was just like oh okay, it's an okay movie. 
Um, the Exorcist, I know I appreciate what you're saying, Andrew, about the story just being kind of flat and all of that. But I believe, and I could be wrong, I don't think anybody else involved the church quite to that extent in a horror movie before. And basically all of these, um, what's the one with the Connecticut couple? That's the, uh, um, with Vera, uh, what's her name? Oh, um, The Conjuring? No? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Anyway, but like all of a sudden, like after the, after the Exorcist came out, the spookier of the horror stories always involved like a priest or the church or something, whereas before it wasn't there. It was kind of like, that was like the blueprint for what that could be. Kind of yeah. like Ghostbusters and Beverly Hills Cop was the blueprint for what an action comedy is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Well, uh, well, that's unfair to Smokey and the Bandit. I shouldn't say that. Smokey and the Bandit was probably like the blueprint for an action comedy. But The Exorcist was so iconic. Um, just the the pea, the green pea soup vomit, that whole thing. And like Sean Lee was saying, Linda Blair, her performance. And it is a shame that she didn't have a better career than she had. And then she did like a softcore porn and she ended up banging Rick James because he's Rick James, bitch. And, um, you know, all of that stuff. But anyway, I, I mean, I and the fact that the of the top grossing movies of all time, that there's even a horror movie on this list should kind of speak to it itself, you know? Okay. And like you said, Andrew, I, I, I'm not a fan of just the slasher and the gore and the blood and jump and boo. Like the exorcist to me is like a much more, because it's more grounded. It's much more of a horror movie, kind of like, um, did you guys see The Devil's Advocate with uh, Pacino and, and Keanu Reeves? Yeah. Well, that to me was like a, a horror movie, even though you wouldn't classify it. And the scariest scene in the movie is in the middle of the day, they are on like Third Avenue in Manhattan and the street is empty. And I remember seeing that in the movie theater. And I was like, that is the spookiest shit I've ever seen. Like an empty New York City in the middle of the day. What? You know, but, you know, uh, it, 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 I think it opened up the horror genre so much more. Where the horror genre was just like a slasher film or... You know, the horror genre were rubber suits, you know, Creature from the Blue, uh, Black Lagoon and, and you know, Frankenstein and, and Dracula and things like that. Yeah, there might have been a priest here and there or something, but nothing to this effect where you're literally exercising a demon. So um, for that aspect, and, and like I said, in fairness to Titanic, I, I did it a disservice by not watching it at least on a big screen TV. Um, but I still think story-wise and just impression-wise, I, I would pick The Exorcist over Titanic. I honestly think hearing you guys say it too, it may, just now you saying that, Tomo, makes me think, I saw The Exorcist with probably too high of expectations. And I watched Titanic with the expectation from what I remembered as a kid of not really liking it. So I don't know that it was, I'm coming at it as, as fairly as I could now that I think about it. So. Totally cool with the, the decision. Fair, fair enough. All right. All right. So, all right. So, here we go on to the Disney brackets where we have E.T. the Extraterrestrial versus Star Wars 7 The Force Awakens. It's Garbage Fire versus Vomit. One of the greatest and movies ever Avatar made. Avatar versus Avengers Infinity War. So, two tough choices because two really good movies and two crap movies. So, which one do we want to go with first? 
Sean? Uh, we'll go with the we'll go with the crap. Let's sort the crap out. Okay, so it's ET, the extraterrestrial versus Star Wars: The Force Awakens. So I will start first, so I could get my, as we know, biased opinion out of the way. ET, the extraterrestrial, because I only saw it as a forty-nine-year-old, a forty-eight-year-old man. I thought it was highly overrated. But compared to the Force, the fact that the Force Awakens on this this actually super surprised me. And the fact that it's number 10 on this list is completely 1,000% nostalgia. There's yeah. no other reason why this movie is on this list this high. Well, it's, especially everybody, with... Everybody who's just waiting for the prequels to be repaired and something amazing to come out. And they even got freaking Harrison Ford in it and Carrie Fisher's in it and Chewbacca's going to be there. And That movie is... Of the three quote-unquote Skywalker sagas, that one's by far the worst, I thought. I don't know if I agree with that, but I think the third one's definitely the worst, but um, yeah. You know what? I, 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 I'll, I'll listen to an argument on that. I, I, you, we don't need to get into a whole Star Wars digression. Yes, exactly. We'll, we could be there all day. That being said, <laughs> I'll pick E.T. any day of the week over The Force Awakens. Yeah, I thought I, like I said, I can't tell you how disappointed. And I've said this story before. I was talking to a buddy of mine who's a huge Star Wars guy, and he was saying, "Do you like it?" I said, "I thought it was garbage." He said, "Why did you think it was garbage?" I was like, "I didn't know what the hell was going on in there because you know, why is there a rebellion if there's a republic? Shouldn't that, that the Republic army and if these guys can shoot lasers from halfway across the galaxy, why do they need ships? What's and he's like, oh, you got to read the book to understand the movie. And I was like, all right, time out, stop. No, if I have to read a book to understand the movie, the movie's shit. <laughs> I mean, that's why the movie's the movie. If you're telling me like, oh, you'll find out in the next movie, cool. We never did. Because what's his face? Rian Johnson took that and made a left turn at the stop sign and, <laughs> and started heading towards Dixie. He, he wasn't following what uh, Jar Jar Abrams did, so... Yeah, I, I I didn't think much of 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 the Force Awakens at all, and I would pick ET over the Force Awakens. Yeah, uh, I'll go next. Quick second, I agree. Pretty much everything is same thing you said, except I actually like ET. Um, I, I really like ET. Again, nostalgia. I love ET as a kid. I think it's good. It still holds warm fuzzies for me. I actually can't watch the movie objectively because there's just so much nostalgia for it to me that I right. just, it makes me feel comfortable to watch. It's like Home Alone or Jurassic Park, like, which arguably are better movies. Although I'd say Home Alone isn't necessarily, I think it's one of those definitely nostalgia heavy things. Um, but, but yeah, Star Wars was a big disappointment. I, I kept thinking it was better than it was because I needed it to be better than it was yes. because I'm so invested in it. Yes. Like, uh, I was so excited for it, and I, I was, it was so pumped, and um, and I, I I know that it isn't good because I didn't watch it more than once. In fact, I've not seen any of the so these um, Skywalker sagas more than once. I saw them in the movie theater, and that was it. Right, I never saw them again because each one, even though they are varying quality and some are better than others, all three of them left me cold at the end of the day i think yes mm -hmm. unfortunately mm -hmm. yes. um 
which Absolutely. is a real shame. Because Absolutely. I didn't really invest myself in any of the new characters, and all the old characters for me kind of cancelled out or outdid all the things I felt were good about them in the original. Like almost every character, I'm like, no, I don't buy it. I don't buy Han Solo saying that. I don't buy Leia doing that. I yeah. don't buy Luke being that. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as strong as all the actors were in those movies, you know, particularly Adam Driver, you know, uh, Oscar Isaac, the most underutilized, brilliant actor ever in a movie ever. Like, yeah. You know, John Boyega like had that whole thing like Disney didn't know what to do with like black people in the movie. I was like, Disney didn't know what to do with anybody. <laughs> Gwendolyn Christie, like in that first movie, Gwendolyn Christie was supposed to be this new Darth Vader, and she was shit all later on. Oscar Isaac was nothing. John Boyega, the, and I mean, I get his point because when those advertisements first came out, I thought he was going to be a Jedi. Yeah. I think they set up, I mean, they set up John Boyega and Oscar Isaac okay in Force Awakens, and you could have had decent characters for a trilogy, but then each movie they tried to re-establish them or do something different. It just, that trilogy is just an absolute mess. Absolute um, mess. Absolutely. I would say I get why The Force Awakens is on this list, and I'm a part of the reason why The Force Awakens is on this list, as we all are, because we all rushed back to the movies to see sure. Star Wars. Sure. And I remember seeing it opening night when it came out, and I remember that night loving it. I had issues with the movie because there were parts of it that were not perfect. There's a lot of it that, like, even at the time, you know, like Ray using a lightsaber without ever having training, which in your Star Wars brain is like, wait a minute, that's not how it works. And like the a new Death Star and them doing the Death Star thing all over again. Like there were issues, right? But it gave me the Star Wars warm and fuzzies like nothing had since seeing Star Wars as a kid, you know? And so I loved it. And that's why I think it did so well and why it's on this list. Now, after some time passes and the warm and fuzzies wear off, you realize that eh, it's not as great of a movie. <laughs> when we talk about it now, we talk about it in the context of the trilogy that it was a part of. And that trilogy is just trash. And if anything, if the if the second and third movie built to like a decent trilogy building off of what was established in The Force Awakens, I think we would look a little bit more highly at The Force Awakens. But that whole trilogy is just trash and none of it matches up or lines up well. And so in hindsight, that movie just gets worse and worse the more you look back on it. Um, E.T., as you guys know from the Spielberg uh, brackets last year. I love E.T. It's one of my favorites. I think it's one of Spielberg's best. It may be a big chunk of that is nostalgia, like you said, Sean. Um, might be the same thing for me. But yeah, warm and fuzzies, all that. No question, E.T. wins. Okay. E.T. it is. I'm, I'm sick of trilogies to put out there. I'm sick of trilogies for the sake of trilogies. Like, yeah. Can we remember for a minute that the reason the old trilogies existed is because there was a great story that there was so much to tell right. that they, in Star Wars's case, and it's almost exclusively in Star Wars's case, George right. Lucas had a story from beginning to end that he wanted yeah. to tell and he needed three movies to do it. Almost every other one that we think of as classic trilogies were by accident, mm -hmm. like Back to the Future or Indiana right. Jones. They're movies that were made as one movie, and they were, so and were such huge successes, right? Yeah. And it just so happened that they didn't get the typical sequel shitness thing. They're like, oh, 
you know, oh, they they kind of kept it. Even Godfather, Godfather, you know, they were like, okay, no, there is we we have a Mario Puzo had a one and two, and then three, like, but now it's like some idiot is just it's like you grew up on trilogies like all the best movie things have trilogies all the best movies are a part of a trilogy so yeah before we even make a fucking move before they even put pen to paper to start the script on the movie they knew it was gonna be a trilogy and already you're setting yourself up for shit i don't think there are any other there aren't really any other movie trilogies that i can think of that aren't like here's the first movie and then they just made two sequels like what you said sean like the star wars trilogy is literally basically the one whole story over those three movies and i can't think of any other series of movies that truly does that everything else is like there was a movie and then there was a sequel and then there was another sequel which the only you, uh, sorry, uh, sorry go, go ahead. ahead no no go ahead i was gonna say the only one that they did but it wasn't even done as a trilogy it was only done out of sheer popularity were the star trek movies mm. Where you know the first one was sh- the odd numbered ones were shit and the even ones were great. And but they it, made more than three. They went on to make yeah, yeah, yeah. How that's many, what I'm saying. Yeah. Like the, they just kept up. They were basically the original Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Because <laughs> then they gave it to Star Trek: The Next Generation, and they did like three or four movies. You know. Um, but yeah, and and I think what Lucas's big mistake was with the prequel trilogies was the fact that he tried to span so much time in those three movies like the the original trilogies work because like from from the time like uh, a luke meets old ben kenobi to return of the jedi it's like four or five years yeah 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 you know and you can buy that but the whole anakin thing and like the clone wars should have been the prequel Right. They glossed over the most interesting part of the prequels. Like, we never needed to see Anakin as a little boy pod race. No, no. <laughs> we didn't. Isn't it weird? Now, now you say that, now I think about it. There is like a nine year gap between episode one and two. That yeah. Is, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, but it's not because it's literally biblical. It's Jesus like. That's what he did. He was like, we have baby uh, Jesus and we have grown up Jesus. We right. don't know what happened in the middle. We're never going to know. Like, right. it, it, but that's so weird. You do that, like you'd have all that space, all that Star Wars time, where they're like, nothing happened here. And and you know, and I'm watching, I'm watching the uh, uh, Clone Wars, the cartoon on on Disney Plus. I never watched it when it was on TV, and like once it hit, it really hit its stride in like season three, and I'm really enjoying it. And then I, uh, uh, um, uh, the Revenge of the Sith happened to be on TV. Like I was flipping the channels. And I got a little shell shot because I was like, what? Wait a minute. It's like, you can't watch the Clone Wars now and watch any of those movies because it's completely out of sync. Because mm. like in, in, in The Revenge of the Sith, when he kills Dooku, they they meet Grievous and Grievous meets them for the first time. I was like, what? Wait a minute. You guys battled Grievous face to face like a dozen times and I'm only on season four. <laughs> you know, what the hell, guys? What's happening right now? So yeah, it's it's we could just do like a week of just talking about like all the mistakes they've done with Star Wars. Anyway, all right, so let's go. So ET goes on with that one, and now we have Avatar versus Avengers: Infinity War. Damn, James Cameron James added Cameron. again. He's um, it's not a mistake that a lot of his movies are on this list. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll start us off if that's cool. Sure. Uh, 
Yeah, I saw Avatar in theaters in, what was it, 2009 when it came out. I think I saw it twice, maybe three times. I think just twice. Um, I did not get a chance to rewatch it before this, and I had hoped to. But I don't know, and, and if you guys did, either of you guys watch it on TV or anything in the time I've seen since? it on TV since it came out. Does yeah. it hold up? My question is, does it hold up on TV like it does in the theater? Because... I think the reason why Avatar is on this list and I, the reason I saw it twice in theaters is because it, that movie was an experience. It was yes. like you literally got transported to that world. Um, and the 3D was perfect and no movie has ever done 3D that well and no movie has done 3D well since. Um, there was like a huge trend for the next like three or four years where every movie got converted to 3D. And I don't know if they're still doing that or not, but like nobody gives a shit about 3D anymore. But Avatar did it and did it so well um the story is nothing incredible you know it's pocahontas or gone with uh not gone with dances with wolves pretty much um but the performances are good the visual effects are unbelievable and it's just like yeah james cameron just literally he didn't he did something with that movie where it wasn't like you're watching a movie but you're like a part of it in a way yeah. Yeah. um he i don't know i can't it's hard to even explain but they just did some amazing stuff in the the cinematography of the in the animation of uh what is it called pandora the world pandora unbelievable um this one i don't know if i can be terribly objective here if i am being objective or if i'm just being biased i'm not sure but avengers infinity war i think is arguably the best of all of the marvel movies you could make an argument for some others but again that's for another podcast um that movie i think is just like brilliant i think that is like almost a flawless movie like how do you take all of these characters from all of these movies and you've got this villain that's been being teased for 20 movies and you finally bring him in how do you make him interesting how do you give time to all of these characters and how do you how do you move that story along and make it interesting and whatever and that movie does not stop that movie starts no. and just goes. There's goes, no, right. there's yeah. no slow moments in that movie at all, but it doesn't feel rushed. It doesn't feel exhausting. It's exhilarating. It's exciting. It's got moments that are funny. It's got moments that are heartbreaking. Um, if you're invested in these characters, which clearly I am. Um, and Josh Brolin's performance and, and the writing and everything around Thanos is just so good that like, you're not rooting for him. You're still rooting for your heroes, but and the Russo brothers have talked about this in making this movie. They were like, how do we make this movie and how do we make it work with like Thanos getting all of the stones and basically winning at the end? It's like, oh, he's the main character. This is his movie. It's not Tony Stark's movie. It's right. not. So if you really pay attention to it, the hero, quote unquote, of the movie is Thanos. The protagonist is Thanos, yeah. And it is his story. And <clears throat> it does something that no movie has done since empire and i don't think any movie has ever done it as well as these two movies where the good guys lose mm -hmm. um and i mean the ending when thanos is like after the snap and he well gone with the wind <laughs> he he uh what is it like he's like uh watches the sunrise over a grateful universe whatever the hell his line was yeah, yeah, yeah. and the movie ends like we all knew like some crazy shit was going to happen in that movie but I don't think anyone saw where that was going. And when that movie ended, you know, Tom Holland's Peter Parker, Spider-Man and, and uh, Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther and, and whoever else, all these characters got dusted, right? We knew, 
we already knew there was going to be more Spider-Man movies. We knew there were going to be another Black Panther movie, you know, despite what has now happened with, with Chadwick Boseman, unfortunately. But so we, we left the movie being like, we know they're going to do something in the next one to bring them all back. But you didn't care. It still had the impact of like, shit, he won. He got rid of half of the heroes. They, they lost. And um, I just thought it was, I just love that movie. I really do. Um, so shout out to Avatar, but it's Infinity War for me. Okay. Sean, you want to go next? Yeah, uh, I agree. Everything Andrew said. Um, Avatar was great. I think I, I loved it. It was an experience. It was very good. Um, I pref- As good as it was, I prefer... I wasn't a huge fan of Pocahontas, but I did love Fern Gully as a kid. And I think that... <laughs> that, that was better than Avatar for me, uh, story-wise. It was the same story, but I just preferred it. Uh, and it, it makes me a little sick in my throat to think that he'd been planning all these sequels, just like I just said the thing I hate from the off. He had this idea of all these fucking sequels, like he was going to make the sequel machine. And it makes me sick the amount of money and time and effort that's gone into doing this. More, Moreover, actually, because we know how talented Jim Cameron is. We've said all the great movies he did. It's like, why? Why are you wasting your fucking time and basically the entirety of your, the rest of your career on Avatar? He's making like, four more. You made Avatar. You did it. The man built a city. He's made an Avatar city. He's just been filming Avatar for like the past four years. Like, it's one long thing. Lord of the Rings style. And then they're yeah. going to cut into the five movies. Like, they've, I think they're pretty much finished. That They've just been shooting. And just make other stuff, man. Like, why have you spent so much time on the Avatars? You made because, Avatar. Because but, I, I, I was going to say... Because Jim Cameron is a tech freak. He loves new tools. He loves to push new tools and into, you know, that's why he went to the bottom of the ocean. He loves Mm -hmm. to do that kind of shit. And I think that's his driver, basically. And I agree with you, Sean, that like, why is he making these? And also like, do we need an Avatar sequel? Like, what the hell are they going to do with the sequel? But I'm still holding out that like, when Avatar 2 comes out, it's probably going to be the new highest grossing movie of all time. And we're probably all going to see it. And it's probably going to blow us all away, but maybe not, but maybe not. Maybe James not. Cameron's track record. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against him necessarily. Sure. We're going to be going back and putting those fucking shades on in the cinema for the next 10 years. I and heard, I heard something, some rumor or something or other that he was trying to do something. I don't know if this is going to happen again. It could have just been a rumor where the movie would be in 3D, but you wouldn't have to wear 3D glasses. Yeah, it, w- it won't happen. Not on the mass. It might happen in like one movie theater in yeah. New York, one in LA. They're not yeah. going to be, they're going to they're gonna make brand new screens for just Avatar. Like, no, 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 you're right. So you're picking Avengers Infinity War. Yes. So, okay. All right. So, I, again, uh, to, to repeat you, Sean, I agree with everything Andrew was saying. Um, and conversely, Avatar I saw, and I'll tell you why Avatar works so well with 3D, because Jim Cam- James Cameron filmed everything with 3D cameras. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's why that was one of those things, like you said, after a while, everybody was coming out with 3D. I even saw Doctor Strange in 3D, because I saw both of those movies, 
at the IMAX at the Palisades. Mm -hmm. And Doctor Strange was really cool, particularly when it was all that like trippy that he was uh, uh, flying through and whatever. So that was a lot of fun on that giant screen IMAX, like I said. Avatar on that giant IMAX screen was come just added like the little fluffs when they were landing i literally thought they were landing on my hand it was like so trippy it was like it you know if we walked through a cloud of weed and freaking walked into that theater we would have probably either just like taken our clothes off or run out screaming one or the other it was just ridiculous like how well that was done um that being said i thought again the story was a fairly simple story but uh, once again all the actors were great. Um, uh, what's his name? For the Australian actor who was in the chair. Uh, Worthington. Sam Worthington. Is, is mm -hmm, that mm -hmm, him? Mm -hmm. He was great. Uh, uh, um, uh, what's her name? Ripley. She was fantastic. Zoe Seldon. Everybody was wonderful. Um, the bad guy, and I forget the actor's name. He's been a character actor for a long, long time. He started off like, I think I love Miami Vice was like his big break, believe it or not. And then he did this movie called The Band of the Hand that came out in the 80s that was like really popular amongst all the city kids. Um, he, um, the there was, uh, I thought everybody did a great job. Um, again, the, the effects were amazing. There was a scene that I thought was really, really touching that really sold the romance between Zoe Saldana's character and Sam Worthington's character when she goes to try and save the trailer because the guy's trying to kill him in the trailer because he's in the in the transfer pod or whatever it is and he's falling there you know and his legs don't work and he's just like this tiny little thing and she goes i see you and like touches like it was a very romantic like i i don't care what you look like i still love you the person it did Aww. It, was a, it was a very touching thing I, I i thought it was very nice i thought it was nice you guys could go fuck yourselves but i thought it was nice. <laughs> um <laughs> so that being said like you said i thought infinity war as amazing a job as whedon did in the first avengers because everybody's like always like because where did all the batman fail like there are too many characters you didn't have enough story time you know too many villains or whatever and and and, and it never worked and whedon did avengers and it was just brilliant like how do you get all these guys that had their own movies and put them all in one movie. And then, you know, the Russo brothers were almost like, all right, we'll see you that and we'll raise you, what, six more characters? Because we've gotten six more characters in the movies. And like you said, and the fact that the focus was on Thanos and not everybody else. And it, it was just like done so well. And, and of course, like again, the Tom Holland scene, which was improvised, um, when he gets dusted and Tony tries to scoop him up, he's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And they were just like, that was freaking great. Like we're, we're putting that in the movie. Um, so many great improv scenes in that. Um, when what's his face, Batista says, uh, I raise you one. Why is Gamora? And they were just like, what the f Yeah. And they loved it because they were killing themselves laughing. All, all of it, all of it, the special effects, all the, all the villains, like all the children of Thanos, like I was invested in them. I was like, can we get some movies with these guys? Cause they're freaking awesome. Let, let, let's see more of that. And yeah, um, yeah, Avengers Infinity War, I say, goes on. Okay. And then our final bracket, 
which will be the, I believe, universal bracket, right? Yes, the universal brackets. We have, this is, this is a tough one. This is actually two tough ones. Star Wars versus Jurassic Park and the oh. Ten Commandments versus Dr. Zhivago. Oh. Can we swap those? That'll make it a lot easier. <laughs> this is not fun. No, no. This is this one's hard because I Dr. Zhivago is one of those that I saw for the first time. So the ones that I've seen for the first time for for our countdown were Gone with the Wind, um, Dr. Zhivago, The Sound of Music, Titanic, and that's it. Th those are the only ones that I never saw before. Why the don't them, the rest of them I've seen? Some of them I've seen when I was kids, uh, um, but the rest I've seen as an adult. You know, as a kid and as an adult, I've seen them several times. So I was going to say, why don't we start with the Ten Commandments and Doctor Shivago first? To spare us some time they're, for this. Yes, they're both marathon movies, three and a half hours. Dr. Zhivago was actually a really interesting movie. Like the material that it was covering and everything, like basically from Tsarist Russia to Communist Russia and how everything spanned out and just like a dude trying to be a good person and living through all of that. And then, you know, having found a lover, but he still loves his wife. Um... It's a good movie. I can see why it's one of the most high, uh, highest grossing movies of all time. Yeah. Ten Commandments equally well. Like all the act. Although I have to say, for Ten Commandments, what always killed me was Edward G. Robinson. Like, how did he get cast? And for those of you that don't know who Edward G. Robinson is, he's the guy that in the cartoons they used to have with the with the big mouth and the big lips and the cigar. And the, ha, she here, buddy. He's that guy that talks like this. And he ended up in the Ten Commandments. It was just like. What's he doing there? It's like, ah, oh, Moses, I'm going to build a golden calf. See, this is what I'm going to do right now. That to me was funny that he was in that movie. But that being said, Yul Brenner, uh, Charlton Heston, you know, Edward G. Robinson, all of these people, great actors in this movie. Dr. Zhivago, same thing. Omar Sharif was very good. Um, Rod Steiger was surprisingly great in his character, I thought. Um, they're both, again, epic, great cinematography. I actually tried to see where they filmed Dr. Zhivago because I thought the scenery that they shot was just marvelous. What did I say? They, they filmed it all in Spain. Was like, that right? Winter, all those winter scenes were done in Spain. And like the ice, like the, the, the big house, the ice castle was made out of wax. Really? Yeah. That being said, I'm giving Dr. Zhivago the edge. Even though the Ten Commandments was basically a superhero movie before superhero movies came out, really. It totally was. You know? Uh, because, yeah, Moses was like basically Thor. He had this thunder stick and he was fucking kicking ass all over the place. So, I... I, I would give Dr. Zhivago a slight edge. This is a really fine distinction for me. I, I thought both movies are fantastic, uh, but I'd give Dr. Zhivago a slight edge.
Chance? Who's going next? Sean, before you pass. Uh, nice and easy. Uh, the, these are the two movies I did not see. So they're up against each other. I... And the main the main reason I didn't see them is they were the only two movies I think that weren't available to watch for free. Okay. I, I had to buy them or rent them or something. Okay. And I what well, first of all, I didn't want to buy them because they were both like 20 bucks. It weren't, they weren't even cheap. I'm like, how 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 are they not cheap? You know, you can, I feel like I could buy it on DVD or you know, in like a in, in a charity store for like a couple of bucks or something but I, I rented it for three bucks yeah well that was the problem yeah, too, that I wasn't confident I'd be able to watch them uh, in, the, in the day that you needed I, got it I, I knew I was going to rent it and then it was going to run out and I'd have to rent it again and then I right. ended up like, oh. so I kept putting it off um, okay. didn't watch them um, although I, you know Ten Commandments you know I've seen I've seen Charlton Heston I've seen uh, Planet of the Apes. I've seen Spartacus. I've I, I've seen uh, you know. Who's the Spartacus? And the Argonauts. No, I'm just like melding. Oh, religion okay. With, I was like, uh, you know, religious movies plus Heston. You know, um, which it, for some strange reason just reminded me of my favorite part of Spartacus which is, of course, John Wayne right at the end of Spartacus. That's my favourite part of it. He surely was the son of God. But yeah, I... So, yeah, I have nothing to say, but I I, I would give it to Dr. Zhivago based on the fact that I think it's a cool-sounding name of a film and if it, I would have guessed it was about a secret sort of like sorcery kind of wizard man who maybe owns a mysterious shop um. <laughs> well I'll tell you this much you missed Alec Guinness as a Russian general yeah oh, oh that's a shame yeah yeah damn it Andrew shall we yeah um I watched both of them recently this week uh Watched Dr. Zhivago one night and, and the Ten Commandments the next night. So it was a tour de force of the long ass movies. Um, let me see. Uh, the Ten Commandments was good. Um, I liked a lot of it. I mean, it's funny because it's like a lot of it is very. Uh, there's a lot of cool things that they did technically, but then there's also things that just don't stand up well, technically. Like it's very clear that the whole thing was like on a set and the costumes look like, it almost looks like it should have been a stage production, not a Hollywood movie. Right, right, but, right, right, right. But you can appreciate it for the the time. I mean, the movie was made in the fifties, so it, it looks good for that time. They did some things. I mean, there were special effects in this movie in the 50s, yes. like yes. literally special effects, which I don't think had really been done up to that point. There were practical effects, but not, I mean, there's the fart, the, the, the fart. There's the, the fart. fart. <laughs> 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 well, that Mississippi me, mud. Remind, remind me when you shoot your next movie, I don't want to be the special effects guy because I don't want to be holding a camera behind you. Uh, I was going to say fire. And I okay. said part, and that's where you got part. There is the part with the fire, right um, near the end of the movie, where basically that big like tornado fireball thing comes. Yeah, the, to, the, the to pillar of fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, that, I mean, obviously it doesn't look terribly good today, but it, it looks cool to see in like a cinematic context of like in the fifties, they did this, which like, I think they actually like animated it and yes. worked it into the film, which is really cool. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it also is like, the story is, you know, the story. Um, Dr. Zhivago was, I thought was really interesting. It's like, a lot of it is, is kind of slow. Um, and it's very long and kind of tedious. I don't think it needed to be that long. I don't think most of these movies need to be no, that long. No, no, um, But there was something like weirdly compelling about Dr. Zhivago. And yeah. I actually wish, I feel like, I, and I said this after I saw it, I don't, I, like I think I said about one of the other movies earlier, I don't know that I get it. I don't know exactly what I was meant to take away from it. Um, like, should I have been okay with him? having an affair with his wife should i have been like you shouldn't have done that i'm not sure what the filmmakers were were kind of trying to get at there or if it was just like you said i think you put it in a good context almost just like a man trying to be a good man living in a crazy world um i wish i knew the historical context a little bit better because there were parts of it that i couldn't quite understand what was going on at like when they get into the later parts when they're in the revolution there's like the whites and the reds there what exactly is that? The Reds are the communists, I'm assuming, right? Yes. Um, Do you know? I, I figure, so it's, I figure it was our, the tsarist, you, you it was can the, explain it to me, Tom. Right. It was the tsar, tsarist <laughs> loyalists. So basically the monarchists that wanted to keep everything as it was. And then there were the communists and the Bolsheviks. There was two different kinds of communists during the Russian Revolution. Oh. And that's why What's-Her-Name's husband was killed. Because he was one of the guys that he he was very much going down the um, he was very much going down the communism is for the people, you know. Communism technically is supposed to be a utopia. It's not going to happen because people are scumbags. But that's what it's supposed to be, where everybody everybody's provided for and everybody's living happily. <laughs> he was doing that basically by force and. Yeah, so there, there were there are multiple factions and switching sides. So it's a detail again, like you said, like Titanic could have been an hour short. He could have told that story in an hour less. You know, yeah, yeah all of these could have been told in about an hour less. Yeah, yeah. I think Doctor Shivago would be something that if I were to watch again and understand the context more, I think I would over time appreciate it more and more. I think if you want to invest another. How long was that movie? Three and a half hours, four hours three almost. And a half, three and a half you hours. want to invest another three and a half hours in it. Um, but of the two, I'd give the edge to, to Dr. Zhivago. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Dr. Zhivago goes on. I, I, I'll say this. I believe, I believe um, Dr. Zhivago would do really well as a HBO miniseries. There was a series in the early 2000s. I don't think it was HBO, but there was a Dr. Chivago show. I think it was like a one season or two season series. Really? Yeah, I saw it when I actually, because I rented it on Amazon. When I looked it up, something else came, popped up. Let me see if I can I can find it real quick. It was right. a movie, well, I think, I think um, someone like Kira Knightley made a movie of it in like 2007. But there is someone a- like- so there's a 2002 two episode miniseries, and then there's a 2006 11 episode miniseries. Oh, okay. All right. The 2006 one, it looks like it's foreign. I'm not sure where from. Maybe it, it might actually be Russian. 
And then the 2002 one, I don't know. Sam Neill was in it. Huh. Okay. Who knows? Oh, that tickles that tickles the memory a little bit. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the last one that we have to pick for this first round is Star Wars versus Jurassic Park, which is a really tough one if you ask me. It's not fair. Oh, it's not fair. I mean, uh, Jurassic Park is one of those that I went to the movies twice to see because I thought the dinosaurs blew my mind out. Like when you first see that brontosaurus in, in that scene, so good. The sound was so good. Uh, the story was so much fun. Again, the, uh, uh, it's Spielberg. So the, every actor in that movie was good. Like there wasn't anybody that like did a shit throwaway job and it's like, why is this person in this movie? Every actor was great in that movie. Did you read recently? I, I read recently, it was part of the press, I think, for Indy 5. Spielberg offered the Sam Neill role to Harrison Ford. He, he wanted him to do it. He wrote it for, for Ford. Really? And, and he wanted him to do it, and he couldn't. He actually wanted to do it as well. He couldn't because he'd already signed up to play Jack Ryan. And, and then said like, no, 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 we don't want you to get into another potential franchise right now, like because we're going to set you up as Jack Ryan, like. Which I just found out recently. There's bad blood between him and Alec Baldwin over that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah apparently, Alec Baldwin was pissed uh, uh, because he could. Oh, he was working on some other movie, or he was. Oh no, he was doing. Um, he was doing a play on Broadway. And Harrison Ford was like, yeah, I want to do that. That, And he was like, oh, well, let, let me finish my play. And they were just like, oh, we're getting Harrison Ford. He's a much bigger star than you are, you know. <laughs> and Alec Baldwin yeah. apparently is still just like, st still has no love for Harrison Ford and like would like nothing better than to like knock him out. But Harrison Ford is Sam Neill's character. And mind you, I think Sam Neill did a great job. I think just the grumpiness, because Harrison Ford is just a grumpy person. I think that that would have been so much better. It, it it's like it, it would have been so close to indie though. You think like grumpy like archaeology. Yeah. I guess. Professor. Yeah. 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 It, I don't. But I don't know. Like I do really like Sam Neill in that role, and I think one of the reasons I like Sam Neill in that role, and I, and actually one of the reasons I don't think it would have worked as well with her. Board, or it wouldn't have, it would have changed the dynamic is sam neil is charismatic but he's not sexy mm -hmm. um, true but, so he leaves all the sexiness to jeff goldberg like there's there's a hint of like sexual tension between him and laura dern in that movie but you don't end the movie by the time the second one the third one comes out you don't go like oh i don't buy they wouldn't have got together like there was some steamy romance I got that it fizzled out because he's kind of awkward. He's more interested in his work and he's not really that guy. Like Harrison Ford in that role, he would have been grabbing Laura Dern and like snogging her. And right, 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 right. It would have been confusing because he needed to be the kind of weird sexual element of the like dinosaur dorks. That's true. Uh, it That's was, true. As much as I would have loved to see Harrison Ford and Jeff Goldblum in those two characters, they it would have been a really cool play, but there might have, I don't know if Jeff Goldblum would have, he'd have been a little weirder. I think he wouldn't have been allowed to be as cool and he'd have yes. maybe just been a little he, he wouldn't have been as sexy. He wouldn't have been as sexy. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That being said, 
Uh, why, why don't I start off? Because we we all know these movies very well. I'm sure most of the listeners do as well. Both fantastic movies. Both um, a discovery of what a good story will do. Right now, again, this is Steven Spielberg adapting a fabulous book. Um, I read the book after I saw the movie, and I'm glad I did because if I read the book before the movie. I would have been pissed because the book was way, 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 way better than the movie. The movie was well done, but they changed so many things that were completely unnecessary to change that it was just sorely disappointing. That being said, of the original Star Wars movies, personal preference, I think this one was my least favorite. That's not saying much. That's like, you know, like when we do the beers, I had a 4-3, a 4-2, and a 4-1. They're all over four. They're all really good beers. But Star Wars, to me, is the 4-1. Jurassic Park, of course, appealed to me because I was a bio major, so I just loved that whole, like, DNA, you know, claptrap that they put together, which was just very funny. Like, it, it doesn't work like that, but okay, it's still fun to imagine. Um... This might be an unpopular opinion, but I think I'd give the edge to Jurassic Park. Oof. Wow. Can I, I'll go next if that's cool. Yeah. Uh, this is a tough decision. It's very difficult. I don't know. I actually agree with you, Tomo, on the Star Wars thing. The first Star Wars is my least favorite of the, the original three. Um, but again, that's not saying much. Right. I love Jurassic Park. And I actually think if we're to look at them objectively and talk about like the filmmaking aspects and stuff, I mean, there's so much you can say about Star Wars, but Jurassic Park, you can say almost just as much. Um, so that's part of what makes it difficult too. So I'll, I'll sum it up quickly and say that because of the cultural impact being more significant for Star Wars and because it was the first movie that launched Star Wars, which is something that is so near and dear to me and so near and dear to so many people and such a part of our culture where Jurassic Park is very much, yes, it, it has had a cultural impact, but not anything near the way Star Wars yeah, is. Anyone right. who's watching, you see this, right. you see this uh, beautiful artwork behind me with the stormtroopers. I consider myself a Star Wars fan. I think all of us would. I don't think anyone goes around and tells people they're a Jurassic Park fan. I mean, if someone was like, what do you think of Jurassic Park? And they're like, it's a great movie. I love that movie. But it's not like, that's not a thing. There's, like not, Star right. Wars There's not a whole legion of Jurassic Park geeks. You're right. So for all of that, Star Wars. Okay. Okay. I can't argue. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to go with Jurassic Park. And the reason oh. I am is because... This is a surprise. Like, this is a huge surprise to me. I thought that was... Yeah, I didn't see this coming. No. It was the first film I saw in the, in the movies. Uh, I love it. I, I, the reason I'm going for it is because, like I said, Star Wars, I think of as the trilogy. I think it was a whole, like it's a whole thing. Um, and I think it stands up as a whole. I agree. The, the first one is my least favorite. And I think it's because it's the lightest. It is the least dark of, the, of them. Like, 
yes, of course, Return of the Jedi has the Ewoks, but there's also like dark stuff in it as well. Yes, 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 yes. Jabba's Palace, and then also the Emperor, like dark. Empire Strikes Back, very dark. Uh, you know, Star Wars, the original Star Wars, and eh, not that dark. I mean, the darkest stuff is just Vader, and Vader's not that really dark in it. Even for the most part, the, they get undermined a lot of the time by like the people he worked with. You know, it's weird. You forget. You you look back at it now, and you always think of him as being this like the most terrifying guy in the in the galaxy. But you look back at it now, and you watch it, and it's like he's kind of a joke on the ship. They think he's like a religious nut, and they keep being right. like, "Oh Lord, you keep ruining our meetings." Must you continue <laughs> take that stupid helmet off? We're trying to get some business done, like you know. Um, it's a little whatever, but till Empire just, when he starts fucking everybody up. Yeah, yeah, I know. but yeah, it's, it exists as a whole. Jurassic Park, yes, there was there's been sequels, and yes, the you know Spielberg did the Lost World. I I don't think Crichton wrote The Lost World until Jurassic Park the movie came out, did he? I, he didn't do it straight away. Like, no, no, yeah, no, no. No, in no, fact, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so it was, that came out because the movie was such a big hit, Lost World came out on top of it. And even Spielberg didn't know that he was going to come back to do Lost World. Um, but he did. But in the end, I think it comes down to it. what would, if if Spielberg had directed Star Wars instead of Lucas, it would have only improved it and it would be even better. If Lucas had directed Jurassic Park, it would have been shit. <laughs> this is true. This is true. No, I think I would Jurassic Park for that. Wow, okay, so that's a shocking one. I have to admit. All right, so this is where we're standing, ladies and gentlemen, after our first round. We have... The Lion King, number 16, going up against Avengers Endgame. Uh, E.T. the Extraterrestrial going up against Avengers Infinity War. Jurassic Park going up against Dr. Zhivago. That, I, I never thought I'd say that <laughs> sentence. Uh, and this one is actually the appropriate one. Jaws going up against The Exorcist. Wow. All right. So that's the first round. All right, so now that the first round we picked our movies, why don't we give our grades on our gross drinks, shall we? Who, who wants to go first? I'll go first. And again, yeah. I will make this short and sweet. Yeah. Mississippi mud, black and tan. Um, you know, sometimes you drink a beer that's not that great. And you're like, well, this isn't great. But as I drink it's, more of it, you'll kind of get used to it. And right. then, yeah, it's, this just got worse the more I drank it um it's not good it's not like it has like a bitter or bad taste it just is like no flavor pissy beer watered down with a hint of like you know that that whatever you want to that that chocolate hint or that mocha hint you get out of a quarter just a tiny tiny bit of that just like watered down and like watered down with a hose not like with good water um mississippi mud uh, i don't know what i give this I'm gonna give it a one and a half. Gross. Wow, that is really bad. Okay. All right, I'll give you my opinion on Fortune's Fate, which is the oyster gauze with lemon. This, it was a pint. And I have to say, I struggled through this pint. I finished it, you know. 
And let's put struggle in quotes because it's a beer. Um, but I mean, it's a pint it's of a, water would have been harder. Was it? A pint of water would have been harder. A pint of water would have been harder. You're right. <laughs> um, it's it's unlike the the Mississippi mud for for Andrew. This didn't get worse. It just stayed where it was. It has, it basically has a musty thing, and I guess that's the salt and the oyster flavor or whatever. It's a little bit on the flatter side. I like a little more carbonation in my beers, unless it's a full, rich, you know, stout or something like that. Towards the end, I started feeling like, uh, I really don't want to finish this, but I finished it because I don't want to pour it down the drain kind of stuff. Again, the the the, the yardstick is if I had to barbecue, and this is the only First of all, I would say, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Nothing like, nothing like oysters while you're outside on a hot summer's uh, day. Oh, my God. Yeah. It'll be like the beer version of Get Out. Yes, basically, <laughs> basically. I mean, it's it's really kind of. It almost feels like, it almost feels like someone dropped a pair of sweaty underwear in your beer. I mean, that's a little bit like that. Not terrible. I mean, <laughs> but yeah. I, I and like I said, I I have the one. I would not have another one. I would definitely look for a different beer after this one. It's like, I tried it. Okay. I try to keep an open mind about it. I can, I can see it being good with a particular dish that I'm eating. I can't see that. What that dish is, I don't know. Is it barbecued shit? Maybe. I don't know what the dish is that I would eat with this. And, and it could be maybe a clam chowder or something, or some kind of seafood might work with it, you know. Actually, it might work with sushi. Now that I think about it, it might work really well with sushi because of the strong sushi flavors and, you know, the wasabi and all of that. It might work really well with sushi. And I might go tomorrow and buy some sushi to try just to confirm that theory. All of that being said, this to me is a below average beer. Not by much. I mean, we've had some beers that are completely tasteless that I've graded a three. I, I, I give this a two point nine. Sean, how about your clam, clam bake? Um, yeah, this was, again, but to bore him more than anything, not very offensive. I think the worst part of it is that a, it's a pale ale that is just so fucking pointless. Like unless it's a, like an IPA, which is not a pale ale anymore. Right. Pale ales, true pale ales like this, are just the most boring, pointless piece of shit. Uh, 3.8%, like, fuck off. Like, what are you doing? A, a pint of 3.8% is just a guaranteed, like, bladder of pointless piss. Is literally, you just maybe need to piss for nothing. Just Imagine having this. Just before you go on, for the gross beer, there's a whole selection of non-alcoholic beers, and I'll pick one of those because I'm like, well, this is what's the point of this shit? <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh, and it just didn't taste anything. 
Can't like yours. It didn't taste of anything. Like salted pale ale didn't taste salt. Clams luckily didn't taste clams. Lemongrass didn't taste lemongrass. Like I just tasted a weak lager, just a uh, weak boring lager. A Michelob um, Ultra. Yeah, that's what it tasted of. I don't understand the point of it. I mean, my I have a three-year-old's birthday party coming up next month. Um, Ooh. Very related, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna be that weirdo that sticks it out, and then I'm just gonna put it out there for like the uh, for the dads of the other children. For the but guys I, that drink the Miller Lite, they're gonna think they're so cool because they're drinking a craft beer. You're gonna be oh, the yeah. for introducing them to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll put it out, but. Yeah, it's just um, yeah. I don't see the point of it. It's started. whatever. Yeah, I give it a uh, two point one. Okay. Yeah. Wow. This is a bad day in beer in beer town, people. All yeah. right. So Sean gives the uh, digger a two point one. I give the fortune's fate a two point nine, and Andrew to Mississippi mud a one point five. All right. Well. All right, folks. So. Um, there you go. We gave you our results for the movies we picked. We The second round has been set up. I'll just recap that real quick again for you all. We have The Lion King going up against Avengers Endgame. E.T. the Extraterrestrial going up against Avengers Infinity War. Jurassic Park going up against Dr. Zhivago. And Jaws going up against The Exorcist. Boom. There you go. Boom. All right. So... On that note, folks, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again real soon when we come back with the second episode of our 2021 Best Tournament. In the meantime, enjoy your beers, have fun, get vaccinated, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye, all. Bye. Bye.